today. I actually wanted to show you this pretty dope intro that I found. Uh, I was just like looking up a, a couple um, Twin Peaks videos, right? Some clips on YouTube just to like get reacclimated to the story. So that way I rem actually remember what's going on. Good, you'll help me. And I uh, <laughs> found this fan-made intro and I thought it was pretty dope. Want to see what you thought of it? Lay it on me. Oh shit. <laughs> oh. When I saw that, I was like, hell yeah, dude. Oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. Or even your year. The part that got me is when it showed Bobby, and he's just, like, sitting with his mouth open. I was fucking dying. Did you show her crying about it? Like... So yeah, I just want to share that with you to kind of get into the, the zone. I hope that helped. Yeah, that did help. <laughs> Brought some levity to it. Fuck, oh, that show's heavy. Fuck. And you still never got around to ordering that pie, huh? Man, you gotta try that cherry pie. I know, and the, and the coffee. It won't be complete. I'm gonna be overhyping it. Hey, heck yeah, bring it. I uh, need that in my life. I need the, that, apple, that cherry pie. And I'm not even a cherry pie guy. I, I just think it was so wild that you can actually kind of partake in a little bit of that history you know because that that's the actual diner that they filmed in and it just so happens to be not only a functioning diner but it's still open today and it's pretty popular from what i understand i think it was struggling a little bit in between fire walk with me in season three mm -hmm. i think it was kind of struggling there and then uh, i think this these new owners came picked it up that's when it got named to tweets cafe uh... So, yeah, I mean, if anyone's in the area, definitely go check it out. If you're in the, the Pacific Northwest, it's in North Bend, so go check that out. I can. Check out that and the last blockbuster, right? Yeah, exactly. Some killer cherry pie. Killer. With this episode, it kind of warrants a little bit of um, like an introduction, you know, like on top of the introduction, we almost need like to lay down the groundwork for how this episode's going to go. So obviously, because of how much material we're covering, this is definitely going to end up being one of our longer episodes. And then that's because we're going to be covering, let's see, three seasons of a TV show and a feature length film. Mm. So all of that together, it's a, you know, it's a little bit of an undertaking, but um, I think we're up to the task. <laughs> if anyone's up to the task, it's going to be us. Right. Uh, Michael and I are going to handle the similar, the similarly to how Steph and I structured our Game of Thrones episode. Simply put, Michael and I are gonna independently choose our top five episodes for each season, beginning with season one. Of course, we're gonna go in terms of when it was released. So that'd be season one, two, Fire Walk with Me, season three. Basically, what's gonna come down to is we're gonna discuss why we chose what we chose. Maybe, you know, it's something something specific about it that we enjoyed. Maybe it was super important to the story, whatever the case may be. You know, we thought it was significant. We'll go over that and we'll bounce back and forth. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. And the way I see it is obviously season one, it's likely we're going to have overlap. Um, oh, quite a bit. I mean, it's only what, eight episodes? Yeah, yeah. And then the others, uh, there may be some overlap there. I'm curious to see what you, what, what piqued your interest in, in the other two since they have they do have more episodes, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some over, overlap there, too. 
Maybe. I, I predict there'll be maybe like three or four. But yeah. season two and three are going to be really interesting. Yeah. And obviously with so much to cover, especially this being part of David Lynch's wild imagination, and it can literally go anywhere. It'll take all freaking day to kind of pick this whole thing apart. So that's why yeah. we're, we're choosing specific episodes. And, uh, you know, we also want to respect our audience's time. Yeah. You ready to mob it? Let's mob it. Let's go for a little trip. <laughs> Down memory lane. How are you doing, everybody? Welcome to Affliction Oz Podcast, episode 31. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, where you can find us at Affliction Autos Podcast. So please give us a like and subscribe. We also have merch. That's right. We, us, <laughs> have merch. Find the link down in the descriptions of our episodes. Yeah. Can you hear? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My name is Eric, and the other voice occupying your head this time is a man of many traits, philosopher, charmer, my good friend, colleague, and co-host, Michael. How do you do? Here on Affliction Alls Podcast, we mainly talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. We also cover TV shows and other forms of media. Of course, we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. You have been warned. Fuck okay, yeah. If you ain't ready, then get ready, because in this episode, we will be discussing the strange, dramatic, campy, mm. mysterious, unconventional, and oftentimes puzzling series that still has a devoted following. Ladies and gentlemen, let's venture back to a place called Twin Peaks. I have a feeling you're going to be the... Uh, the expert here since uh you're the one that actually got me into the <laughs> series so what initially got you into the show i mean you were watching it when it was airing right uh well not uh, it depends i i started watching it during the third season um i'm sorry rather I, I i caught i got caught up with it just before the third season came out so i did watch it when it was going live for that, but not, not in the nineties. Uh, that, that was, uh, I was too young then. But, um, so you asked what, what got me into the show. So one of my coworkers, when I was working at Apple, uh, he made a passing comment. I was watching a show at the time called the killing in the killing. There is a uh, young high school girl who is found dead in the first episode. And so it's kind of this, again, this whodunit and the parents are kind of going through their own personal hell and everything. And meanwhile, the investigators are, really struggling. The main character is a woman, but um, they're, they're these, she's working in tandem with this other guy um, played by Joel Kinnaman, cool actor. Damn, Lyndon. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> The Killing, um, I remember talking with it about this, this coworker of mine, and he, he, he just cut me off, and he's like, I liked it better when it was called Twin Peaks, and I was like, what the fuck? Like the better one's called Twin Peaks. I never heard of this before. You know what I mean? Like, is this a what, what kind of town is this? Is this near here? Twin Peaks. There's a Twin Peaks there near, somewhere near LA. Mm. At the time I was living in LA. So anyway, long story short, he's he makes mention of it. I look it up, and on on Wikipedia, and I got into. I remember just being so turned off by the um, fantastical elements that I found out about, and so I was like, man, fuck this. Like, I I, I like more. I'm I, you know I'm not into. Uh, high fantasy as much we've talked about this before so i was i was already turned off by it right funny here i'm the one recommending it to you now <laughs> so anyway 
I went for a couple of years not watching it, thinking, oh, what the hell? Like, I, this is not my thing. It's not my thing. I don't really like the supernatural stuff. It's not my thing. And then um, another friend of ours uh, at work recommended, she says, you, I think you'd really like Twin Peaks. And I was like, really? I'm like, oh, I should give it a shot then. So I, I watched the first episode and it freaked me the fuck out. I was like, what the fuck is this even about? And, wow, it was um, creepy, huh? Yeah, it was it was it was fucking creepy because that scream at the end with the mom and just in the in the chain. I was like, well, "What's happening right now? Why is somebody buried a, buried a necklace and there's a hand reaching in, grabbing it?" And it's like it's either superimposed or juxtaposed with the mom seeing it simultaneously and then just like letting out this like blood curdling. She's good at that. <laughs> She's got those screams down, man, and I don't and being that I didn't know who she was and that she does do that and that she's kind of this sort of manic person. Anyway, so yeah, that was that was basically my intro to to Twin Peaks was these two friends of mine separate of each other telling me, "Hey, you should check out this show." So, uh so yeah, that's how it started and then and then I got hooked wondering who who killed her and why was this woman screaming? Who what I just couldn't the burning question that's what always sticks in my mind is this hand reaching in and grabbing that necklace. I was like, whose hand is that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why is this woman screaming? And that's the half heart necklace, right? Exactly. It's, it's exactly it. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was definitely intrigued. That was the burning question. Who killed Laura Palmer? Yeah. Who killed Laura Palmer? And, and it seemed campy and I was like, I, I don't know. And, and, but Kyle McLaughlin has this charisma and I just kind of like, I don't know, like if it weren't for the fact that that, those burning questions were there. I, I was just curious about seeing this guy on screen because he was just so charismatic and seemed so, he seemed so much like, um, now I'm really dating myself here. It's called Columbo. Oh, I guess you could call it like Monk. I guess today's, today's Columbo is Monk, where if you've seen the show Monk, it's like he, he seems not to know what's going on, but then he fucking, he, he has, he has all sorts of things. Like, I don't know, I guess Cooper's different in that sense that he doesn't have his own like personal issues so much as, he seems unassuming. He seems like he doesn't know what's going on, but he is like just he can this, back it up. He backs it up. He's just he's just like this real approachable guy, you know, oh, real nice. Oh, this coffee's great. But he's just his mind, the way it works. He's just solving problems all the time. He's he's he's, he's brilliant. So mm-hmm. his brilliance as an investigator, as well as how funny he is, and him interacting with the with the people, the weird shit he says and does. Yeah, it's just so quirky. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so it's so endearing that that's also another piece that drew me in, as well as having crushes on the characters in the show. I mean, like Donna, freaking all um, of them. Who, honestly, yeah, all all of them, really. Yeah, absolutely. Laura, Donna, Audrey. The casting agent needs a raise for this. I'll tell you that much. Oh, seriously, they he he, he picked them, and uh, I mean, honestly, I thought all the performances were pretty. I don't know. They they were they they had me going. They got they got me gripped to the show so was it just your your persistence to want to like the show that eventually won you over or (laughs) was it a different point of view like was it like a certain time in your life the things that initially drew you away from the show is what hits everyone that watches the show for the first time you're like what the fuck is this intro this intro is taking ages and then it's like super campy like i can't take it serious but it's like creepy at the same time i don't know how to feel about the show yeah that's it it's 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 so different i mean no show like it has been made since i mean I, i can't think of anything that is as out there like you just don't know what's coming next and it's funny because like you said it's 
it's serious and it's about serious subject matter. I mean, fuck, I mean, Laura has a cocaine addiction for fuck's sake and, or had one, you know, and, and so they're finding all, they find out all this stuff and it's, it's got some heavy themes. I mean, it's about death and yet, yet you can, you can be laughing at the fact that Andy, who's the deputy is like weeping like a little boy. Like he's just, he's a grown man and he's just weeping and he, he that's like the, you see him weeping at the beginning. You're like, Oh, this is really hard for him. And then you realize how weepy he is throughout. And you're like, Oh my gosh, he's like this big, big, big lovable goofball basically. And comic uh, relief. with a big heart. Yeah. Comic relief with a big heart. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. A lot of the characters do have that, which is funny that he made this characters. They weren't, they weren't flat, right. They weren't two dimensional to me. At least they didn't seem that way. Even Andy has, has some depth to him, you know? So, okay. Yeah, the things that the things that that kind of like turn people off turned me off too for a little bit. But I think it was the it was two things. It was the drive, it was the drive to see what others saw in the show um, that I hadn't seen yet. I'm like, it's one of those things where okay, so like in a novel, and I love I just love reading, but in a novel you'll have it's like it's known that the first 100 pages are like more like character establishment. Like you're getting to understand the characters and the world they inhabit. And so then it's, it's, it requires that commitment. So people will often say that about a TV show, right? They're like, oh, they'll straight up say like the first season wasn't really that good, but you get into the second season, blah, blah, blah. They hit their stride. It's kind of like that, right? So I was thinking to myself, well, maybe it'll hit its stride. You know, I've given other shows the time of day that didn't really deserve it. I like killing. And, uh, and so, I mean, I kill, I finished that show. So I was like, the least I can do is give this show a little bit more time. And of course, giving sure. it more time just drew me in more and uh i fucking i loved it to the point where i can't remember ever skipping the intro unless i was binge watching and then just jumped to the next episode where it would just start right away with no intro i never skipped it ever i yeah i i i I love the way that just like you did now where you brought in the music um at the beginning of our of our podcast (laughs) or at the beginning of what we're talking about now Mm -hmm. i was like um it sets the tone. It puts you in that world. I, I don't like to skip personally. I don't like to skip intros of shows just, just because it's, it's kind of the principle of, unless it's like a show where I just don't give a shit and I'm just like, oh, I'm just watching something to have it on while I eat something, which is rare. Oh, I, I loved it. So at first it was a slog. It's funny because it's showing so many uninteresting things, but then it becomes interesting over time, which is, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> it's showing a fucking bird and like a fucking stream, right? And some trees. It's shown the sawmill cutting blades for like 15 seconds. And you're like, what the fuck? Is it going to get on with this? Yeah. But it, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of charming. Once you start to understand the town and the people that live in it, it all becomes charming over time. I love that you said that because that's exactly how I feel about it to the point where it's like, I get, I got chills just thinking about it where where you're sitting down, you're watching the show. You have all sorts of other things going on in your life. Who knows what you have pets, if you have kids, you know, there are things going on with, with them and um, you have stresses going on at work and, you know, maybe some personal projects going on as well. So there's definitely stuff going on in our heads constantly. And to take a minute to take, Hour fucking long. How long is that intro? It's like a, it's like two, three minute long intro or something like that. They did cut it down. So season one was like two minutes, maybe even more than that. And then the uh, second season, I think they cut down to an, a minute thirty. Oh, okay, right, right. So they they, they trimmed about thirty seconds or so, some somewhere along the yeah. line. But it's still, it's still notably long considering that you know you ju- you, you juxtapose that with something like Lost, <laughs> it's legitimately just like boom, and that's it. it just we're in it now you're fucking in it which three is seconds 
it's an interesting approach, right? Because um, you, you, you're in it, and you just here we are, go. Uh, whereas with 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 this approach, different different themes, different shit going on. To me, like you like you said, it's endearing. Um, so it, it definitely like brings you back into that world. For it's like it's almost like like I said, you need to decompress to get into this show. This show is like there's some shit going down and it does ask you to suspend disbelief a little bit because of the, some of the fantastical elements that are in there. But it's like, it's almost like uh, the way I see it is David Lynch chose uh bottle Monty as his, as his composer. Like he had him play, he had, he had I don't know, uh, auditions for it or something like that. And he heard bottle Monty put this thing together, but just start playing. He's like, he basically, he started playing. I, I watched a YouTube video on it and he was talking about how he was playing something. And then, and then David Lynch was describing the situation and, but she's, you know, but she died or whatever. And then, so then he's changing the keys and it was this song that they, that they created together in, in the whole thing. I think that's exactly what he came up with. Just built, built on that. So all that to say, if this is David Lynch's composer, <laughs> then everything is, and David Lynch is the director yeah, and his reason. final say so. Exactly. So I'm like, if David Lynch, the genius that he is, did this this way, who am I to say, like, I don't want to, I don't, you know, it's like some art, it's like some art piece or something like that. Like, I don't want to see it this way. I don't, I don't want to see the lighting on it this way. I'm going to look at it my own way. Funny thing about me doing that intro with the theme and everything. I practiced that probably like 10 times. Oh, really? This is, this is how dedicated I was to trying to fit that in here. I was trying to shoehorn that in and hopefully it turned out all right. I had to rearrange and restructure the intro. So, and I actually think it, I might keep it that way because I think it flows better. Mm. So um, I was kind of, I was trying to to time that in a way that it would be like I wasn't rushing, but also wasn't taking way too long. It should have just done like a sentence a minute or something because that's what David Lynch would have done. <laughs> yeah. And just drawn it out for the whole intro. The whole song is just... what, like five minutes long and I'm still doing the intro. Yeah. Just going slow <laughs> i mean so like what the fuck's going on with these people this this podcast the hell these guys had it together and what the hell they're doing they're, they're, they're killing me i don't know about these guys this is one that we've been wanting to do for a while and uh i think and, since the beginning i know we've said that about a few and we've knocked yeah. out a, a few of those that were initial on our list twin peaks was always on that list but it was always kind of like that one that we will push down a little bit because they're like i don't know i don't know if i'm ready for that one i don't know if i'm ready for that one because there's a lot to talk about honestly yeah. uh, some of the subject matter i wanted to get to that point where i was an expert on twin peaks right but i i'm not really sure if anyone can really become an expert of twin peaks because a lot of the stuff people are still theorizing still trying to make sense of and I mean, I even have this theory that I don't even think it makes full sense to David Lynch himself. Uh, yeah, I, I have to laugh because I, I never thought of that before. Yeah, I wonder if it makes sense to him, too. I don't know. As an artist, the man is just, uh, he, he, I mean, think of, have you ever seen Mulholland Drive before? No, I haven't. What I'm getting at, ultimately, why I'm asking is because when you watch any of his films, they are, to me, like compressed versions of this show. Like he, he brings some sometimes fantastical elements in and he just he finds a way to like he finds a way to confuse and delight you at the same time i don't know how else to put it but he confuses and delights you and i wonder if he's not also confused and delighted and realizes like hey you'll make it whatever it is so all that to say i agree i don't think anybody's a, a an expert in in it i think it's it's the whole reason why i even encouraged you to watch it it was for the experience for you to have as well. And, Cause here's the other th piece that you asked me about when I first watched it. The other condition was that I had, um, 
I had been laid off at the time. And so I had more free time. And so I was applying to jobs every day. And then after I applied to jobs in the morning, I would, uh, this was right before I got hired, actually. Reward yourself. Right. I would reward myself with breakfast. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. I would reward myself with breakfast and and that show. And I would only, and I would limit myself to only one episode a day. I would try to only do one episode a day so I could kind of like sit with it, marinate on it. And it was, uh, it was a fun, it was a great experience for all those episodes that I got to enjoy. I did binge a few. I did have to binge a few, especially during second season. I was like, whoa, whoa, gets intense. If you don't know who David Lynch is, uh, or if that name sounds familiar, but you're not sure, like me, if you've seen some of his movies, um, he's known for such films as Dune, released in 1984, also starring Kyle MacLachlan. That's actually kind of cool because we also covered the Dune remake, and we're definitely going to be covering Dune Part 2 whenever oh, it decides yeah. to come out. Hell yeah. And then, like you said, Mulholland Drive, he's done Blue Velvet, The Elephant mm. Man, and Inland Empire, just to name a few. And... Obviously, he's notable for his outlandish stories. Yeah. Yeah, they are wild. Now, Twin Peaks, in a nutshell, it was an American mystery serial dramedy series. Originally airing on ABC, uh, the initial TV run only went for two seasons until its cancellation in 1991. And then the original run was immediately followed by the 1992 psychological horror feature film, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, serving as a prequel to the TV series. So that's already kind of confusing because it's like the show got canceled. It didn't get to finish the story. Now let's do a prequel. We don't know if anyone's even interested in seeing a movie, but he felt like that's what he wanted to do was make a, a movie following the TV show. Right, right. And then over the years, the series began to gain a devoted cult following, became referenced in a wide variety of media. And on October 6, 2014, David Lynch tweeted that he and Mark Frost, who who were both co-creators of the original TV show, they would start shooting a new nine-episode season of Twin Peaks airing on Showtime. And uh, Lynch had some creative disputes with Showtime, prolonging the development of the new season, But eventually they sorted out the differences and the original nine episodes were extended to 18 and the new season aired on May 21st, 2017 to widespread critical acclaim at that time. I don't know how people feel about it now, but at that time, people are all about it. Oh, man, it's everything that the world wanted. Well, I mean, shit, it certainly begs the question, was the TV show really canceled or did David Lynch want that to happen himself or did he plan because he knew that it was going to get canceled. Did he? How how long ago did he know? How long before it got canceled did he know? And had he written that that epi- had had he written the show the way it ended up going? Because then it's like you think it's been canceled or whatever. And I, I think that's what's so great about it as well. Uh, can I should I get into that right now? Yeah, we can start uh, easing our way in a little bit. So let's let's go over the principal cast because there's quite a few people in here. There's a lot of characters to keep track of. We'll do like a quick run through of them and then we'll start talking about the the episodes. Already mentioned, Carl McLaughlin as Special Agent Dale Cooper, an FBI agent assigned to investigate the murder of Laura Palmer. Eccentric, enthusiastic, and effective. (laughs) Michael Ontkeen as Sheriff Harry Truman, the local sheriff. Laura Flynn Boyle as Donna Hayward. Laura's best friend, also investigating the murder. Love interest for James. Sherilyn Fenn as Audrey Horn, Benjamin's rebellious daughter. Laura's classmate. Love interest for Agent Cooper, perhaps? Uh, I think at, at one point she was. 
James Marshall as James Hurley, Laura's classmate slash secret last boyfriend for her murder. Mm. Also investigating the murder and uh, love interest for Donna now. Uh, Machen Amick. That's always the the tough one to pronounce, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, I actually looked that up <laughs> and um, it's pronounced Machen Amick as Shelly Johnson, a young diner waitress in an abusive marriage with Leo and having an affair with Bobby. All these people are intertwined. Dana Ashbrook as Bobby Briggs, Laura's last known boyfriend, jock, bully, possible psychopath, sells drugs for Leo, having an affair with Shelly. Uh, Richard Bamer as Benjamin Horn, seemingly sinister local businessman and owner of the Great Northern Hotel, shown in the intro. I always call it just the Waterfall Hotel. Um, and Audrey's father, Ray Wise as Leland Palmer, Laura's father, Benjamin's lawyer, Peggy Lipton as Norma Jennings, owner of the popular Double R Diner, mother figure for Shelley, love interest for Ed, Joan Chen as Jocelyn, Josie Packard, owner of the lucrative Twin Peaks Mill, shown in the intro, <laughs> sister-in-law to Catherine, love interest for Sheriff Truman, Eric DeRay as Leo Johnson, trucker, Shelley's abusive husband, has had a few minor run-ins with the law, secret drug dealer, possibly involved in more heinous activities. Everett McGill as Ed Hurley, gas station mechanic shop owner. James's uncle, married to Nadine, trusted friend of Sheriff Truman, love interest for Norma. And last but certainly not least, definitely not least, Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer and Mm. Madeline Maddie Ferguson, identical cousins, Laura was a popular and beloved Twin Peaks resident. Her mysterious and impactful murder is the subject of the FBI's involvement and investigation. Maddie moved to Twin Peaks after hearing about her cousin's death so that she could help the Palmers during their grief and uh, often physically compared to Laura as well. Also investigating the murder with Donna and James. So that was just a quick rundown of all the characters, all the principal characters on the show. Hopefully that everyone was able to follow along with that. I'm sure we'll remind. <laughs> it just makes me laugh because they don't compliment each other at all. And I'm starting to regret doing my notes in the same fashion. But the brown font with the lime green outline and in spirit of the show also did that for my notes. And it's like burning my retinas right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, why those colors, right? For the show, those are the ugliest colors to put together. Yeah, I mean, it's it. I don't know. That's that's a good question. Everything's done with such purpose, though. I can't imagine that particular green, that lime green. It's loud. Why? Why that? I don't know. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious, but it, it gets your attention. Out. It does. It gets your attention on the screen, and it's a little sickening because it's it's just like you said. You're 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 getting fatigued. It does something to you, right? There's a psychological thing, and I almost wonder if it's meant to just be a little off-putting because it's obnoxious, that green. It's it's like, hmm, what is this? Shout out to composer, right? Angelo, what's his last name? Badalamenti? Yeah, Badalamenti. Badalamenti. And uh, like you said, longtime collaborator with David Lynch. Um, the reason why I wanted to make sure we did give uh, Angelo Badalamenti uh, shout outs because he passed away last year, December 11th. Wow. Yeah, that was unfortunate. R.I.P. I didn't realize. R.I.P. So Twin Peaks season one. I don't know if you chose it, but I had to start off with season one, episode one pilot. 
wrapped in plastic. <laughs> Did you also choose this one? Yeah, had to. So I purposely, when I was sharing my notes with you, I purposely only showed you the first note that I took because I figured that, you know, I can throw that out there and not really spoil a whole lot. They're introducing all the characters, you know, setting the foundation for the rest of the show. So it right, just made right. sense. I made sure I didn't show you anything else because I didn't want to influence your choices. I didn't want you to to not choose something because I chose it. And also don't want you to feel guilty choosing it because I chose it. So that's why I wanted to make sure that you got to choose your own uh, episodes and then I got to choose mine. Yeah. In the pilot, it takes place in February 1989. The body of homecoming queen Laura Palmer is discovered by the Twin Peaks Riverbank by... Who was the one that found him? Wrapped in plastic. Um, trying to think of the husband's name. Pete. Pete Martell. Pete Martell, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Laura Palmer is discovered by the Twin Peaks Riverbank. <laughs> Pete is on his way out to go fishing, and he see you notice something over by the rocks, you know, around the corner, and he walks over there, and that's the famous line. She did. <laughs> she did. There's quite a bit that happens in episode one. So, man, I just realized that this takes place before I was even born. <laughs> February 1989, I was born in March. Ronette <laughs> is found by law enforcement to have been beaten and uh, wandering aimlessly along some uh, train tracks. So there's that mystery where what the hell happened to Ronette. FBI agent Dale Cooper is introduced He's making his way up to Twin Peaks and explains to someone named Diane in his tape recorder that he was heading up to Twin Peaks to assist Sheriff Harry Truman with the investigation of the mysterious body that was found. A tiny piece of paper is found under Laura's fingernail with the letter R, which how the hell would they have found that? Honestly, I think it was tiny. It was almost microscopic. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Why would they do that? I don't know. It's interesting. Anyway. Wasn't it like the index finger of like the left hand or something like that? Or no, it was the ring finger, huh? Ring finger of the left hand. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, the ring finger. It's wherever they put the uh, that emerald ring on. I think it's the same finger. It's interesting that they would think in doing an autopsy that they would dig under her fing- fingernails or, or was it just like, I don't know, maybe they were cleaning them? Anyway. Cooper has seen similar situations in the past, past murdered victims, and he suspects it's a serial killer. Bobby is arrested and questioned since he was Laura's current boyfriend at the time of death. I mean, you know, if history tells us anything, it's usually the boyfriend slash husband of <laughs> the murder victim. So right. Bobby is is kind of in a shitty spot right now. Yeah. But I mean, not to mention, he kind of fits the bill because the dude's a fucking psychopath. Yeah. Like straight yeah. up. He flies off the handle. Agent Cooper and the Twin Peaks Police Department investigate an abandoned railway car in the woods that looks like a murder scene. What do they find in there? They find a little letter or a piece of a letter that says the words fire walk with me kind of written on there in blood, if I recall. And that's also where they find a half heart necklace pendant, half buried. Very poor job of of trying to bury that necklace. It's revealed to Donna that James was secretly seeing Laura. So he's technically her last relationship. So even though Bobby was the last known boyfriend, James was revealed to be the secret final lover of Laura. That also ties him to the situation, and he's shitting bricks. Mm. Donna and James kind of discover that they've had feelings for each other for some time, but out of respect for Laura, Donna never made a move, and James, you know, he was 
he was just having all of his attention on Laura, but they weren't not attracted to each other, I guess you could say. Right. On top of that, put the little cherry on top, James was given the other half of this heart pendant from Laura. So it's the cops have one half and James has the other half. So he's like, fuck. <laughs> and Don and James both decide to bury it. <laughs> so that way uh, James doesn't get in trouble. So Don was already ride or die for him, which is kind of interesting. And then last but not least, Laura's mother, Sarah, has a nightmare envisioning an unknown man digging up James's pendant. Right, right. What really struck me was simply um, this town, like I was mentioning before, being so like such a throwback and having this crime committed here is just kind of jarring, especially you see it through the eyes of Agent Cooper, who he's seen a lot and he's traveled around a lot. And uh, for him to be taken by this town and charmed by it at the same time, investigating this, this heinous uh, murder. Because it's not just any person. She's the she's the homecoming queen. She is the town's sweetheart. Every everybody has such nice things to say about her as you come to to know her. Um, of course, she has this other. She, she has two boyfriends. Okay, well, there's that, and so you're kind she of has oh, okay. really dark side to her that we're going to find out later. Right. So at the first glance, you you get the whole oh she's she's the the darling of the Twin Peaks. Yeah, something I did notice is it seems like everyone is having an affair in this town. Apparently, that's the only thing to do in Twin Peaks. Right, right, exactly. <sighs> Have these uh, secret affairs. <laughs> I will say about the scream, though, about uh, Sarah Palmer's scream. <laughs> After the first episode, every time she does it, it kind of becomes comical. I don't know why, but it's. I just felt like... She was so overacting every single time <laughs> that it just became comical to me. Yeah, yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, it's just a little, a little over the top. But I felt like the best actors on the show were all the Palmers. Laura Palmer, Leland Palmer, Sarah Palmer. I felt like they were, they may have been the pound for pound best actors out of everyone on the show, at least in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, Laura and Agent Cook for sure. Now, what was your second episode? Because I actually have episode two. Do you also have that one? Heck yeah, it's funny. I do have episode two down as well. All right. You want to go ahead and start off for season one, episode two, Traces to Nowhere? Uh, Traces to Nowhere, yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Would it be episode three then? Oh, it is the third episode. No, never mind. I have the third episode, even though they have it in quotations as the episode two. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, my bad. I'll touch on what I liked about episode two. And this is why it stood out to me. So season one, episode two, Traces to Nowhere. Agent Cooper is staying at the Great Northern Hotel owned by Ben Horn, where he frequents throughout the show. Um, that's almost like his, his headquarters while he is in town. Uh, it's here where he first meets Ben's daughter, Audrey. And dude, Audrey is, she's something else. But also at mm -hmm. the same time, you know, she kind of takes an interest in Agent Cooper, you know, she's a high school student. He's this uh, federal agent that's on a mission. Very serious work being done in town. So he doesn't really pay much attention to her. But she, you know, she starts to get a little glimmer in her eye every time he comes around. She's kind of an interesting case because she's like this rich girl, kind of troublesome at times. You know, I just feel like she's bored. She's bored and she's in a small town. So it's like that's kind of like a, a bad mixture for her. I don't know, just her unruliness is uh, kind of an ongoing issue for her dad, Ben. Who else do we have? We have uh, Dr. Lawrence Jacoby, who's the strange and 
possibly perverted psychiatrist. And he listens to a secret tape from Laura revealing that he was the one who unearthed the pendant. So he's the one that followed James and Donna up to the middle of nowhere to bear that pendant. And he actually, I guess he was spying on them the whole time. And he went and dug up the pendant after he left. He mm. has this weird fascination with Laura as well. After that, Donna visits Sarah Palmer to offer condolences. She gets pretty weird. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is where Sarah hallucinates that Donna transformed into Laura with some terrible overlaying of footage, I might add. Oh, it was, it was oh. very poorly done. Do you remember that? No. Laura even has like a different background. Like Laura is outside somewhere and you can see the sky around this cutout of her face. Oh my gosh. And they just superimpose that over Donna's face. And I just thought that was comical. It was, it was pretty bad. Sarah envisions some rando guy with long hair crouched nearly nearby, I should say, in the same room, just like half ass hiding behind a coffee table or something or was he hiding behind a chair i don't know but he wasn't hiding very well sarah obviously starts flipping the fuck out in front of donna so donna's like what the fuck did i do <laughs> mm. but the thing is he quickly disappears and donna doesn't see who this guy is so that's an extra mystery as well that's where they start almost slowly incorporating the supernatural element to the show and that's mm -hmm. why i liked episode two. Oh, i see all right that's two for me Right on. What you got? So episode three. Episode three is um, it's called Zen or the Skill to Catch a Killer. And the reason why I chose this particular episode was um, looking back, I didn't, I remember thinking to myself, like, again, the supernatural thing, I don't know what's going on. You know, I, I don't know why I had this conception in my mind of what, a, what this Black Lodge looked like. I, I thought that it was going to be like a wooden lodge. You know what I mean? Like you go up to Big Bear or something like that. If you're here in California, go up to Big Bear <laughs> in the mountains. And a cabin. You, yeah, and a, ca a cabin. That's my, that was my thought is what this Black Lodge was. And so um, there's, some, of course, some character development, some plot going on here. Uh, da, 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 da. Well, did they mention One-Eyed Jackson in the second episode? I forgot. That was episode three. Yeah, the shady casino brothel one-eyed jacks. Right. right, right, exactly. So um, so this is where we first introduced to this business called uh, One-Eyed Jacks, which is where uh, some shady shit goes down. It's it's basically like a uh, it's like a, a brothel, essentially. And it, and it plays an int integral role in um, – it, it plays a role in, in Laura's story. But what intrigued me, how quickly in the show they, they show the Black Lodge without you maybe even understanding that that's what you saw. Mm. So essentially, it's, um, it's interesting to note that David Lynch practices transcendental meditation. And I mention this because so much of what happens in the show, so much of these insights that Agent Cooper gets is um, when he's dreaming. So I mention this now because... In this particular episode, at the very end, he goes to bed and has a dream of uh, of this uh, one-armed man. You come to find out it's this guy named Mike, as well as a long-haired man named Bob. Anyway, so you get a little more character development, a nation of who, who this Bob person is and who Mike is to Bob. And it's all in this dream in the third episode of the show, which is fucking crazy to me that that he does this so early and so brilliantly because it's like he just it keeps you wanting to know more where the hell are they so he's having a dream like i said he, he he's speaking to this guy named mike 
who used to be a partner of Bob's. And this was in the Black Lodge, right? Correct. Yeah. So the, the red room. So they're in this in this what they called the Black Lodge, but really the and the Black Lodge has more spaces, but really the the heart of the Black Lodge, where everything really seems to take place. This room that is surrounded by thick red velvet curtains and this really beautiful design on the on this tile floor with um, these zigzags, which uh, I saw that you're, you're wearing on your shirt. So props to you for for rocking That's some right. Twin Peaks merch. This actually is a legit Twin Peaks shirt. What I'm wearing right now is a black shirt with the black and white chevron stripes chevron. going horizontal. And yeah, this is actually from the Twin Peaks shop. So I actually bought this at the beginning of the year. Nice. Specifically for this episode. Dude, awesome. Awesome. You've been waiting to, waiting to rock that. I have, uh, I have a Twin Peaks mug um, and uh, it's got the same chevron design. And then at the bottom, it's just red around it i was like i've got i want i'm getting oh, this dope and i'm it's not gonna say anything on it i just want this and if you know you know kind of thing like i'm gonna be rocking drinking yep. that, that book. and it wraps around the whole mug so you see the the, the chevron the black and white chevron oh, and then and then the awesome. red at the bottom and it's just a simple simple mug but either way repping and i was inspired by the way to get that when i saw uh kyle mclaughlin doing that challenge where he's sipping uh he's actually sipping from the mug but it was when he was riding that skateboard because that guy did the whole um ocean spray deal remember him uh oh no way the guy riding the skateboard and he's singing the fleetwood max song kyle mclaughlin did it and he was riding a skateboard and he's mouthing the words to the fleetwood max song as well and he's taking a sip of of his drink from a twin peaks mug and I was just like, what the hell? Which that happened well after that the mug. third season. That's right. Uh, you got to get that mug. But I was, uh, anyway, so so that's my little Twin Peaks merch. I want to get more because, damn, this, this show's so good. Oh, hell yeah. So uh, basically you find out that this guy, Mike, uh, who had been Bob's partner, says he met God. And in order to, and decides to sever his connection to Bob, but in order to do so, he has to actually cut off his arm, which had a tattoo that, that actually tied him to Bob. And again, this is in the Black Lodge, and Bob Bob tells Agent Cooper in that space that he will kill again. See, now, I, this is what throws me. This is what makes me question about the third season and its timing. Because, um, well, the dream continues, and now Cooper appears older, and he's he's in that red room with a little man in the red suit. And Laura Palmer is sitting on a couch uh, across from him. This whole this whole meeting is is one of the most interesting. It's this this character. Um, I'm like I'm salivating. I'm like Ooh, I can't believe I got this the, the third episode. Um, uh, this whole scene is so fucking interesting and creepy and you don't know why at first it's so creepy. Then you realize so weird. Exactly, it's so weird. Um, he's, he speaks this message to Cooper and what he's, what he's saying to Cooper, he's saying in a weird way. So you realize while you're watching it, it's spoken backwards. So it looks like what they did was they filmed everything. Basically the, 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 the characters who were in here, who had speaking parts had to actually say their lines backwards. I don't even know how they were able to accomplish <laughs> saying them backwards, but then when, uh, so they filmed them saying them backwards and even their movements had to be done backwards so that when they, when they played it forward, their movements would be forward and their language would be, um, uh, uh, 
you could re- you could hear it you could understand it it would be not legible but i can't think of words. sort of i mean i definitely needed subtitles because some of the some of what they're saying i'm like what the fuck are they even talking about right now but yeah basically what you're describing is like the way that they would need to film it is they would say the words backwards in the middle of the room and then casually walk backwards to the curtain and disappear behind us so that way when you play forward they reveal themselves from the curtain and they walk all weird up to the middle of the room and then say that message. Everything is filmed backwards in the red room. And it's, it's just such an interesting concept. It, it, it is. It feels a little like, um, what's that? What's that cat? The cat, that chasm. What is that? Uh, when, when we could talk about like, uh, um, where it's like this, basically, I guess what I'm trying to get at is you, you, it, your mind is triggered immediately. You're like, something is really off here. Their oh, movements are not normal. Uncanny like, Valley. Uncanny Valley. Thank you, Chasm. Uncanny Valley, where you're just looking at it and you're like, no, like it almost pulls you out of the narrative to where you're just like, this mm-hmm. feels weird. And I don't know what they're doing. Um, like your, your brain, my brain at least started to turn to like figuring that out. But it was still still fun to kind of swim in. Either way, um, not to take too much time on this particular episode, but it's it's important in that this is the first time you meet in the Black Lodge. You get to understand that this place is not like any other. It's It's got some dark things to it, some dark elements. And um, and Cooper's Cooper's not, not in his element. It's kind of interesting to see where in the real world he, he totally is. He kind he's of, just a spectator. He figures it, figures it out right. But he's such a good listener and such a good 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 spectator. He just sits there and watches and takes things in. Um, I also had episode three, and there was just a couple things I oh, wanted to bring did? up. Oh, you did! How well. dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. What the fuck was with Jerry and Ben Horn being so consumed by that bread? Like, remember Jerry brings <laughs> Ben that bread, and they're just like, "Oh my god, it's so good!" And I was like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" <laughs> oh, right, right, right. The baguettes. Yeah. And they just start eating it just dry. Ben literally stops eating whatever he had on his plate because he thought the bread was more appetizing. And they're just like so like over the moon on this bread. It was weird. That's funny. I wonder. Wait, remind me, who's who's Jerry again? Warriors, the brother. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, that's yeah, his yeah. brother. Never mind. That's right. Come, Come out, out and play. play. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Jerry. Man, what a, that guy's like, that guy's so dope. That guy's so cool. Also, I mean, why are they literally Ben and Jerry? Why the why the fuck are they named after the yeah, ice cream exactly. company? <laughs> ben and Jerry, exactly. I'm like, what the Ben and Jerry, really? I wonder if they already had I don't know. Anyway, I'm not gonna go into it. But yeah, it's funny. It's strange. And the the only other thing I wanted to bring up for that one. So in the the red room, which I guess is also called aka the waiting room. The Black Lodge, Red Room, Waiting Room, they're all basically like kind of the same thing in season one and two. I also wanted to mention that this is the episode where Laura in the Red Room, she whispers something into old Dale Cooper's ear, but we don't know what the hell it is. And it's like driving us nuts. Yeah. So good, though, when you finally get that reveal. Yeah, the whisper in his ear. Yeah, that's crazy. Then, you know, Cooper does that bullshit where he's like, I know who the killer is. Who is it? I don't remember. And we're like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I know who it is. Well, isn't, isn't to know something to remember it too? Like, you have to remember it. How can you know it? Not fucking 
I had a dream where I think I saw. So he basically, like, they're back to square one. Mm-hmm. All right, what you got next? I'm, like, thinking five, six, seven are uh, most interesting to me. Five, six, seven, or? Or six, seven, eight, rather. Six, seven, eight, okay. I chose six and eight. So you can get six, seven, eight. Ah, perfect. So season one, episode six, Cooper's Dream. The reason why I chose this one, it's got some interesting elements to it. So the police search Jacques' apartment and find pictures of a red-curtained log cabin somewhere out in the wilderness. They're, they're getting a little bit closer to discovering more information about Laura Palmer's death. Uh, Dr. Jacoby counsels Bobby, and what I really found interesting about this was up until episode six, Bobby is just like this homicidal, just off-the-rails teenager, you know? Mm-hmm. This uh, therapy session with Bobby was freaking interesting because this is the first time you see him break. There's this breakthrough, and he starts just letting it all out. You know, he mm-hmm. he admits that Laura was psychologically abusive towards Bobby, and she was pretty mentally unstable. And these are huge elements to the whole story arc because up until then you don't really know much about Laura other than the fact that she was really popular and everyone seems to love her. But then, you know, Bobby starts painting this other picture. It was kind of cool because you don't know if you want to believe Bobby. He's kind of like talking down on Laura a little bit. And, you know, you almost want to not believe Bobby because he is such a piece of shit. But then you start to kind of feel a little bit sorry for him because you don't really know that, he isn't this way because of Laura, which I think that's what he's alluding to is that he was normal up until he started dating Laura. And then her psychological abuse turned him into this monster that we see today. It was just kind of cool to see that vulnerable side to Bobby. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I totally forgot that he had that, uh, that this was the episode that he has that moment because yeah, up until now you just see him as a piece of shit and he's just, he's just always starting trying to start a fight with somebody. He's just very antagonistic but yeah, you definitely very just, aggressive, very, very aggressive. Exactly. You just don't know what. And I think, you know, later you realize his dad's kind of been aloof in his life. He's in the military. And so you kind of get a picture of this guy, this, this young teenager who is, uh, who's missing that sort of father figure or doesn't feel connected to him in some way. And, and it's hard cause he has these really high expectations of him again. Anyway, either point point is that he, you start to see this other side to him. He's, he's not just this angry person, but he's, he's been psychologically abused and you don't know whether to believe him or not. Like he said, cause he's kind of a dick. Yeah. And it's weird because he basically, well, I guess he was kind of cheating on Laura at the same time. So while she was cheating on him, he was cheating on her with Shelly and she was cheating on Bobby with James. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird dynamic going on here. Everyone's just kind of trading partners. Mm hmm. It's also weird to think that Shelly is an adult, whereas like these are teenagers, because Shelly definitely looks like she could be the same age as all of the high school girls. It's exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that always kind of threw me off a little bit. I always thought she was like a working high school student. Like I thought she went to high school with them and she worked at the diner. But no, she just like that's what she does. She doesn't even go to school because she's older than Donna and Audrey and all them. <laughs> right. After the whole uh, character development for Bobby, Donna and James, T 
teaming up with Maddie now. So Maddie was already introduced and she is the identical cousin to Laura and everyone kind of at first mistakens her as Laura. So that's something she has to deal with now that she's in town. People are like, Oh my God, Laura, you're back. And she's like, no, I'm actually Maddie. It's a little Ooh. awkward. It's funny because all they did was just dye her hair black and give her some glasses. Boom. Different person. Not Laura, not Laura. I was watching uh, what we do in the shadows and there's this episode where this guy, he basically changes his identity and all he did was like, he doesn't do anything different to his hair or his voice or anything. All he did was put a toothpick in his mouth. You know, it's a totally different person. Yeah. Yeah. He puts the toothpick in and they're like, they're like, Oh, where, where'd Laszlo go? And then he takes the toothpick out and they're like, Oh, Laszlo, there you are. <laughs> and it's just like the stupid joke. Oh my gosh. I should check that show out. I hear good things. Let's see. We got Ben Horn and Catherine. They're conspiring against Josie to boot her out of the sawmill and just kind of uh, take control over it. On top of that, Audrey, she, how the fuck does she know about the secret passageway and Ben doesn't? I have no idea, but she finds the secret passage that leads to Ben's office and she often spies on a lot of his meetings in there. Do, no, no, no. Yeah. Little, <laughs> little finger snaps. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of wonder myself. But then again, she's super mischievous. And he's such a businessman. Like, I think he, I feel like he would just buy the spot and then just like put his stuff in the office and not even think twice. I think she's, because she's so mischievous, I think she's, she'd be curious and want to like investigate, kind of look around, snoop around. I think she's also starting to pick up on the investigation herself. So she wants to kind of figure out more information about what happened to Laura. And she found out that people from this department store tend to be able to visit this one-eyed jacks that she hears about so she forces her way into the horns department store that her family owns and specifically she needs to get into the perfume shop or like the perfume department because those people are the ones that are picked to go to one-eyed jacks and so she forces the manager to hire her in the perfume department mm. So she's getting a little bit closer. She's, you know, she's using her detective skills. And at this point, because uh, she's already developed a crush on Agent Cooper and she wants to help him in the investigation in some way to get in his good graces. So that's also a driving force, not just uh, her curiosity, but for the sake of trying to woo Cooper somehow. Because that seems to be the way to get to him is to help him with his investigation. All her... All her feminine wiles aren't enough to, to get him to get on board. Hank is paroled and later punks Leo. So you know how Leo's been kind of thinking he's hot shit of the town, which is funny because Bobby also thinks he's hot shit. But Bobby works for Leo and it turns out Leo works for Hank, who has been in prison this whole time. But he uh, he just got released and, uh, you know, he had to he had to put Leo in his place. Let him know who's the top dog in town. Mm. And then lastly, Cooper returns to his room to find Audrey naked in his bed. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I had to mention this. You know. You know. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. How? <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because his his reaction is just, he's just like so. Uh. I think she's she's kind of getting this high from doing her own investigation. You know, she's. She's on her own and she's getting her hands dirty a little bit, but she's also making some progress. And I think that's that's almost like this dopamine hit. And 
You know, she's just she gets uh, kind of brave and she breaks into Agent Cooper's hotel room. And yeah, she's just like hops on his bed naked and waits for him to show up. <laughs> she's getting ballsy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's funny, too, because it seems most men tend to be seduced by her and he's not like any other guy. All right. You got the next uh, couple? Yeah. So uh, episode seven, Realization Time. It's the name of that one. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, basically Cooper lets her down. Lets her down gently. Can't have a relationship. Lay you down. Lay you down. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Audrey finds out about how uh, she she learns more from her boss overhearing her boss talk to a coworker that she made her that he made this coworker of hers a, a hostess at one eyed Jack's. So it's uh, so it's she's in the right place. She she did the right she made the right move and so if she wants to get to one eyed Jack's she's she's close. That one's a weird one too because as much effort as they went into making Maddie not look like Laura, they just throw a blonde wig on her and make her pretend like she's Laura so that way they can distract Jacoby. Right, right. It's almost like, yeah, it's everybody seems to be a suspect in this town. Everybody's somehow connected to Laura. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, she got around. It, yeah, it's true, which is interesting because here we are uh, talking about Audrey and, and her seductive ways, but... Uh, Laura, Laura's way more in that world. Yeah. So like right now, who do we know that's, that's kind of romantically linked? We got Bobby, we have James and Dr. Jacoby, who was her therapist, right? right. He's also infatuated with mm-hmm. her and he had almost like this uncomfortable feelings for, I don't even know if he actually, if anything happened between them, but I think he wanted something to happen. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly she gets hired because she shows Audrey gets hired at Jack's because she shows, um, Madame O'Reilly, uh, the one who, who runs the brothel there at one eyed Jack's. She shows her that she can tie a knot with a, a cherry stem with her tongue. Right. That's such a, um, old timey trick, but I mean, it still works, I guess. Yeah. Hey. And I think this is both of our last one. Season one, episode eight, the last evening. Yeah. So let's talk about this uh, tape that's found in Jacoby's office. I'm I'm blanking on on this tape of the recording of Laura. I don't know if it reveals a whole lot, but I think it confirms Bobby's testament or statement earlier. Uh, she says something like, "You know, I'm cheating on Bobby with James," but then she goes and I think she shits on James as well. She said that James is like super boring and that she she needs more excitement in her life, something like that. You? Which, I mean, I get it. <laughs> that seems to fit the bill. Yeah. Really, this this episode is is all about... Um, the whole Jacoby thing going on. Yeah. Jacoby's about to meet up with Maddie impersonating Laura, but then he gets jumped in the bushes by some unknown assailant. Mm-hmm. This is where he just... All he can remember later on in season two is that he smelled burnt engine oil from this person. Huh. I forgot about that. Oh, and then um, Agent Cooper infiltrates One-Eyed Jacks with his crew and tricks Jacques into basically confessing and getting arrested. They do that little sting on him, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he confesses to having sex with Laura that night. So that's another one. That's uh, four people romantically linked to Laura. 
mm-hmm. Jacques, which is like, damn, yikes. Right, right. And just to clarify, the, 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 <laughs> exactly, Jacques. Ooh, you see that guy? No. Um, no. But yeah, when I said that night, <laughs> no. that, I mean, no. You look at his face, no. Uh, yeah, he, he, he claims to have had sex with her the night of the murder. So then it's like, gotcha, gotcha, bitch. And he was bragging about it. Yeah. But then uh, he's not long for this world. (laughs) Leland overhears that Jacques was the one involved in Laura's death. So he sneaks over to the hospital and smothers him with the pillow while he's handcuffed to the bed. Yeah. So Leland straight up just murders this guy and he doesn't Mm. even have all the details. But, you know, he's he's a desperate man. Desperate man, lost his daughter. He has nothing else to live for. Mm-mm. His only girl, his baby girl. So at some point, Leo finds out about the, the affair. He ends up confronting Shelly. And he, since Leo's the one that's setting up the whole fire to the sawmill, you know, he's the mm-hmm. arsonist. Mm-hmm. He's just going to murder Shelly. So he ties her up in the sawmill as he's triggering the flames. And he's going to let her burn to death. But... Of all people, who would have expected Catherine to be the one to free Shelly? So she gets there as it's burning, and right. the two of them kind of disappear behind the flames, and you, you don't know what happens to them. Right. And then check this out. This is some weird shit going on. So Audrey, who successfully infiltrated One-Eyed Jacks, her first client is her father, because her father is the one that always tests out the new girls. Oh, damn. So she's like, oh, fuck. How am I going to get out of this? Yeah. Cooper returns to his room and finds Audrey's letter revealing where she had gone. But before he can read it, he is shot by an unknown assailant right in the doorway. Pow. And that's how season one ends. Not bad, right? It's, it's almost like this murder mystery thing going on as well. Yeah, yeah. He tied, so, he tied together so many... Awesome. It's just the, the character development is crazy. It's so rich. Like all these, it's interesting how it's like these different love triangles. It would be fun to like put it up on a, like one of those pin boards and have like, you know, like Sherlock with like the, the, the red string or the red <laughs> ribbon, like this person's right. connected to this person. Love, love this. They're in love with this person, but have different colors represent different things. Cause yeah, it's, it's quite uh, a kaleidoscope of <laughs> different stories, different connections. Anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, yeah, that's so unexpected the way that it ends with that, with Cooper getting shot. Of all people, too, you're just like, oh, he must be onto something. Right. Yeah, because it's like the way that they show the shooter, you only see it from like the stomach down, right? Because it, right. They're, they're holding the gun almost at their waist. And mm-hmm. you just see the front of the gun with the silencer and just pop, pop, right in the midsection. And, yep, seems like Cooper's down for the count. So far in season one, which storyline do you feel like is the most interesting? Because hmm. I'm definitely interested in this whole one-eyed Jacks thing. You definitely get a sense that there's some nefarious shit going on, right? Yeah, one. It's so funny. Yeah, definitely one-eyed Jacks. Everything kind of again moves that way. So you you start to think that this is the central. This is the focal point. It's almost like it to me. You start to forget. Like I, I remember watching it. I just got so caught up in the her you know audrey getting involved getting in there and everything mm-hmm. and agent cooper doing his own thing all these other little stories I, at this point i'm not even aware of the black lodge i'm not even thinking about that room I and mean, it's kind of burning in the back of my mind but the the the, the practical of sure getting information seems to be the 
the focus. So I'm like wondering, is the Black Lodge in One-Eyed Jacks? I think that's one one thought that I had. I was like, is it like in the back behind it? Or like, is it? And I, and I thought it's going to be this building. I thought it was going to be this building you go into and stuff, which we'll get into later. <laughs> yeah, we're, we still don't know that much about One-Eyed Jacks. We just know that it's like this brothel thing. And Ben seems to either run it or he might even just own the whole thing outright. He might have been the the mastermind behind that whole thing. But One-Eyed Jacks is also, it's located up in Canada, out in the middle of nowhere. So it's quite a ways out there because you get the sense that Twin Peaks is somewhere along the border and they just cross the border whenever they need to. And Jacques is supposed to be, I guess he's French Canadian or something. I don't know, even though they're nowhere near Quebec. <laughs> right, right. On a season two. Did you have episode one? Because my first episode that I chose is episode two. I ho-ho, I did not choose that. I guess it's the fifth episode of the second season. Gotcha. All right. I definitely did not choose season two, episode one, because I thought it was actually kind of dumb. They turned up the campiness to like a hundred in episode one, and it was just a bit too much for me. Uh... So in episode two, Coma... We're informed that Agent Cooper's former partner, Wyndham Earl, ended up going mad, but has also recently escaped his mental hospital. So there's that. And they don't revisit that until a little bit later. So they just kind of throw that out there. Donna takes over Laura's Meals on Wheels route to see if she can find any more information. Kind of uh, just doing good old detective work, you know, trying to get what information she can. She ends up meeting the shut-in, Harold Smith, who later reveals that he has Laura's secret diary. That's definitely a juicy item that people want to get their hands on. <laughs> Ronette finally awakens from her coma. Damn! Because she was introduced in episode one. So she, <laughs> she finally wakes up from her coma and identifies the illustration of Bob to be her attacker. And then dies? I... I wasn't quite sure with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't recall either. It, and and I, yeah, I don't know if she dies or what. That was a weird way to go. <laughs> yeah, as an attacker. <sighs> Leo survives Hank's attack, but is now in a vegetative state. Man, that was when Leo was about to fucking just rip Bobby apart, right? Mm-hmm. And right before Leo's about to kill Bobby in the living room, inadvertently. Hank saves Bobby by shooting Leo. You thought he assassinated Leo through the window and he just takes off. But um turns out Leo survives. He's a he's a trooper, but now yeah. he's in a vegetative state. Mm-hmm. And I actually really like this storyline. I, I love him being like this and Shelly and Bobby taking care of him because there's always that like, when is he gonna yeah, snap out of it? Yeah. You know, and they just kept stringing that along. I was here for it. Oh, yeah. Same, same, same. I just, uh, yeah, exactly. All that dumb shit that they they would say and do in front of him. Yeah. You know, he was storing that up here. He was, he was going to remember it later on. Exactly. It was just a matter of time. But yeah, you're seeing them kind of play house together. You're seeing them deal with a little bit of frustrations as a couple trying to solve some problems. And of course, uh, Bobby's just uh, crazy. So, you know, he's, he's overreacts to shit and he's just angsty. Which I guess is what lends to it being kind of campy too, because because that that teen angst, of course, plays a plays a part. Yeah, sure. Audrey being all angsty as well. So 
It's funny you mentioned Bobby and Shelly playing house because Leo's kind of like their baby. Yeah. <laughs> like their big ass baby. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You have to it's feed them like... and they're just like, they're like, eat your food. Eat your... <laughs> yeah. But they, they take care of them because they want to get like disability money or something, right? For uh, Leo. Yeah. I totally forgot that that was why. I was wondering, I was like, was there information they needed from him or something? But mm-hmm. no, no, I think they were just trying to make money, make money off that. Uh, Major Briggs, who's Bobby's dad, informs Agent Cooper that the military received a strange signal from space. And uh, it's just a, like a bunch of gibberish. But somewhere in the middle, he points out, it spells out, the owls are not what they seem. Huh. Yeah, I love that. Which I don't know if they ever really explain. I still have no idea, even to this day, what the deal is with the owls. I hear you. My one of the episodes I picked was the one was was one with Major Briggs and the Owls. Oh, maybe maybe it might make more sense later on then. Um, <laughs> oh man, is this that episode? Is this the episode where everyone's just <laughs> where Maddie, James, and Donna are just chilling in the living room, just having like a jam session? Oh my gosh, I forgot. This is still the song that I sing to Brenda to annoy her because she fucking thought it was so cringy. Oh, gosh. Just you and I. <laughs> no, I sing it like that, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because you, you wouldn't expect James to, to have that singing voice, you know, because he talks normally. But then when he starts singing, just you. It's all breathy. And, I, <laughs> and you're like, why is he singing like that? I don't know. It just sounds really weird. Cut it out. That jam session's already weird to begin with. And then you got James who's like giving googly eyes to Donna. But then Donna notices Maddie giving googly eyes to James and she gets all pissed off and storms off. So James is like, what the fuck did I do? You know, we're just singing, having fun. I just sing, just you. <laughs> yeah, his, his singing voice is not anything to write home about. <laughs> Let's just say that. And then uh, while they're off, you know, kind of arguing, Maddie envisions Bob. Ah, uh, yeah. So she envisions Bob walking towards her and she freaks the fuck out. I'll be there for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there <laughs> And then Blackie, who's the uh, who like runs the day to day for One Eye Jacks, she discovers that Audrey is uh, a little liar, and she's actually Ben's daughter. So since she's actually kind of pissed off with Ben herself, she decides to take it out on Audrey by turning her into a drug addict. That'll teach him. She's like, if I can't hurt Ben directly, then I'll hurt him indirectly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think there's also the famous line from Mike at some point where he he recites the poem through the darkness of future past. The magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire walk with me. Mm. And I just want to make sure that we got that in there somewhere. Now. we Yes. All right. On to you. All right. Episode five, The Orchid's Curse. It's a pretty badass sounding title, too, if I say so myself. Yeah. Oh, is this where Nadine reverts to a teenager? Yes. Is that is that what happens in this episode? Yeah, following a suicide attempt. The suicide attempt came because she thought that he didn't want to be with her anymore, but wants to be with... Is that correct? Or am I... She's suspecting that he's... They took a while to do anything, right? So I think she got really depressed because she finally 
you know, she's been beating her head against the wall about the drapes, right? The drape right. runners. Right, right. She wants it to be either like soundless or like smooth or something like that or both. But she, you know, she's all about her drape runners. I think she discovers that uh, if she puts oil on it, then it makes zero sound. And so she submits that patent and I don't think it goes through. It's like, my life's over. This is all that I looked <laughs> for were these drape runners. Oh my gosh, that's right. And she'd sit there and whoosh, 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 like try to open them up. She was like so obsessed. That's who Ed gets to go home to at, at night. Like not the <laughs> love of his life. Not her, but Nadine. Not Norma who runs the diner. Norma, but Nadine. This is also a really campy element to the story is that she goes into this brief coma, then snaps out of it. And then now she thinks she's back in high school. Yes. And that that's not it. And that's no, not no. the only thing. What else happens to oh, her? Oh, man. Uh, she, is, she falls in love with Bobby, right? Mike. Or it's like Mikey. So there's, oh, there's two Bobs right. and there's two the, Mikes. The friend, right? Bob isn't that Bobby's friend? They're both they're both like uh, sports. They're both like football players. They're jocks, right? Yeah, yeah. And and this is where she discovers like this superhuman strength as well. All of a sudden that she <laughs> yeah. didn't realize she had. She's like lifting heavy shit. I'm uh, weird. So she gets superhuman strength. Yeah. Now they're they're definitely leaning more into the supernatural. It's interesting. So one one thing I'll I'll mention too that we, now that we're we're kind of getting into the second season is, so at the same time that this show is going on, so the first season ends, uh, but there's that there's that show. Uh, is it um, Dallas? Fuck. So Dallas was a really popular show at this point, uh, ninety one, and the and the way that the last season ended was with this cliffhanger where one of the main characters was shot and it was such so it was such a shock to everybody that even on like people magazine had a feature like the front cover of people magazine said who shot jr and i guess the way the pacing had worked it just seemed to kind of grab people more viewership and so the the studio execs came to uh came to david lynch and they were like you need to fucking speed this thing up <laughs> and some shit needs to go down some shit needs to happen you're not you, you need to make these things happen so there was more impetus there's more there's more um coming down from the studio execs on to the creative onto um, Mark Frost and, and David Lynch in writing the, these stories and everything. They needed to make it happen, make it snappy, make, make something like, like Dallas. And they're being like, Whoa, you know, there's pushback. There's all sorts of creative differences that were going on there, but that has a lot to do with the pacing and a little bit why this season is so has a different feel to it than the first season did. There was a distinct moment where the tone completely changes and this season is almost two parts because there's almost like a mid-season finale where there's this major event happens and then after that this whole new story arc emerges for the latter half i just thought it was really odd that they decided to do it that way yeah that exactly and then then you have that then you get sort of why so they're already already there were there were thoughts that this wasn't going the way that the studio execs wanted it to who knows what kind of grumblings they were hearing and so i i start i'm starting to wonder if um david lynch was already planning his schemes for season three at this point yeah so so right now the show's struggling in season two i think a lot of people may have turned into season one but maybe they're just like, you know, this is getting too weird for me. I'm so lost. I don't know where the, any of this is going. So I felt like audience members were just dropping off left and right. 
Right. I mean, if you think about it, he introduced the big idea in the third episode, like we were saying before, with the Black Law, just where everything matters. That's where everything ha- that that matters happens, basically. But um, or not so much matters, but is very consequential. Um, but then he goes on and he kind of drags out the, the next few episodes, right? And like I said, we kind of get lost. Like, where are we going with this? We're going to One-Eyed Jacks, but how, how do we get back to the Black Lodge? What, what does that have to do with anything? You know, this room with the curtain and this the little man in the red suit. It's still, I mean, it's still a, gr- a great ride. I just kind of wonder if he had had more creative license, how he would have done it differently um, in terms of the story development. Like you said, there being like a, a mid-season finale, I almost wonder if that was like after the mid season, if it's mostly just them trying to move plot forward, you know, trying to get something going versus what he had in mind initially. I will say that I enjoyed the first half of season two way more than the second half. It's kind of unfortunate to say because we get more of the Black Lodge in the latter half of season two. Yeah, yeah. One of my episodes is definitely the season finale and I think one of the other later episodes as well. I, I did... I only wanted to get there. There were a couple of things for me that led to the choices I made for, for the later seasons uh, or for the, yeah, for these seasons here, but um, choices as in like, I did want to touch on the owls. Like I was mentioning before the, the owls are not what they seem. And there's an episode in there that, that gets to it. But um, another character gets introduced a, ja- a Japanese businessman, uh, Mr. Tojimura. Tojimura. <laughs> Man, this character a lot of people, you know, they, they're already kind of offended by this character. They're like, man, this is such a racist ass character, but it was like such a poorly done prosthetic job. This does not look like a normal looking person. And the voice is even worse. I don't even know how to describe that voice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's terrible. You could tell something's off. I couldn't tell who it was at first, but is I was like, this is weird. Who's that? Who is that? That's not that's not a Japanese person at all. What the hell? <laughs> and I actually looked up Tojimura, and that's because I've never heard that name before, and I don't think that's a legit Japanese name at all. I think it's something that Americans just created something that sounded Japanese, and they're like, oh, this. I think this sounds believable. I don't think Tojimura is an actual name. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't think so either. Weird. Tojimura. Oh, this is also a pivotal episode because uh, uh, Andy realizes, he discovers that his sperm count is miraculously incover- recovered. It's, it's oh, better nice. Now. So he's, he's back. Father. Yeah, he's back in action, baby. The boys are back in town. <laughs> dun, dun, yeah. So it's still centering around One-Eyed Jacks and uh, Cooper and uh, Sheriff Truman. Uh, they, they plan a raid on One-Eyed Jacks. That's right, to rescue Audrey. He finally reads the letter, and, or he, he finally understands that Audrey went to One-Eyed Jacks by herself to infiltrate, but she hasn't returned. You know, she's been missing, and he, she's likely still there. So mm-hmm. him and the, the book house boys, or whatever the fuck that they call themselves. Oh, gosh. Such a stupid-ass name. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> They're like Boy Scout Club. It's like Monster Squad. Shout out to Monster Squad. Dope, dope ass movie. Cool for kids, but lame for the <laughs> <laughs> for, for grown ass adults. Yeah. For grown ass cool. adults. No, not not quite as cool. But yeah, this this is probably one of my favorite episodes of that season because shit fucking just hits the fan. Like they go in finally, they go into uh one eyed jacks and uh mayhem ensues. Going, going in hot and they rescue Audrey and 
they kill uh, uh, the Madame, the the runner of the brothel there, Blackie O'Neill, mm-hmm. and somehow Jean manages to escape. Jean is that? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Is that the brother of uh, Jacques' Jacques? older brother? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Of course. He kind of came in and forced Ben out, and now Jacques is running, or uh, Jean's running the show. Jean Renault. Jean Renault. Yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah, that, that's intense. And then. Um, Finishes with Maddie and Donna trying to steal Laura's diary from from Harold, uh, the the uh, shut in that they're bringing uh, meals on wheels to. But um, is this where he like cuts himself? Is that the is that where he yeah. like has this dramatic, ridiculously dramatic <laughs> scene where you can totally tell it's like ink going down his Fake arm? Blood, and shit. Yeah. Oh my gosh! He takes one of those like little three prong rake things for That's like what gardening. It was. You can tell, like, they, they stuck, like, little, I don't know, like, red pads or something on the ends of them. And he goes to, like, hurt himself. He's like, oh, you you guys were against me. Uh, and he just starts scratching his uh, cheek. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it just does not look like real blood at all. At no, all. No. Should have done a little bit more research on that one. Got to get a blood expert in there. That was terrible. They would have been better off just superimposing Laura's face on Harold. You know, that would have been more effective than whatever the fuck they're trying to do with that. Yeah. You know, though, part (laughs) of me wonders, because it's so campy, part of me is now starting to wonder if this isn't just like a big, if the campiness isn't like sort of soap opera-like, soap opera I think it was. Where I think he's trying to make it like a soap opera where it's like, not so much poking fun, but it's kind of using a little bit of the form. Because I wonder, I wonder if he would have used a better, better, better makeup for blood. I don't know. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I'm all, he's a genius. He can fuck shit up too. He can mess up. But, but I'm still kind of like, I wonder if that was meant to be that way just for the, I don't know. The next episode, do you have anything before episode seven? Because that's the one I have next. Mm, no, that's the one that I was thinking of. Oh, so you also chose seven? Yeah. Ooh, nice. Uh, season two, episode seven, Lonely Souls. Hawk investigates Harold's place after Donna tells them that he has Laura's diary. This is actually kind of sad because Harold, after scaring them off by scratching his face, when Hawk shows up, Harold ended up uh, killing himself. He hanged himself. Maddie is deciding it's time to start thinking about heading back home. I actually forget where she comes from, but... Yeah, she definitely doesn't live in the Pacific Northwest area, so she was just here to help out with the Palmers as much as she could, but she's starting to think that the town's a little weird and it might be time to go. (laughs) I don't blame her either. Yeah. Bobby discovers a hidden tape recording of Ben Horn in the heel of Leo's boot. This is now where Leo's starting to just kind of randomly say shit out of nowhere. Huh. I think he scared the shit out of Bobby and and uh, Shelly by screaming out like boot or something like that. And they're like, what the fuck? Because they thought he, he came to and was back to normal. Right. But no, he's still in his vegetative state, but he just keeps repeating this word over and over again. They finally deduce that he's talking about his boots, Leo's boots. Somehow Bobby just thinks of the idea to crack open the heel of the boot and there's an actual cassette tape in there. And it's a recording of Ben Horn, so that's interesting. You know, they don't quite know what's on it yet, but they're about to find out. Audrey, she confronts Ben about One-Eyed Jacks, so she confronts her dad. And uh, Ben tells her that he was deeply saddened by Laura's death because he loved her. 
So what the fuck? That's another person that's in love with Laura. Yeah, the list the list grows. Is that five now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, at least uh, by our count, that's <laughs> that's five. And ever since getting outed out of One Eye Jacks by Jean, I don't know. He's he seems to like not really have a purpose. Like he doesn't know what to do with himself, and he's he's almost spiraling in a way. Mm. And this is kind of what leads him to do that whole civil war shit, which I thought was fucking dumb. (laughs) The reconstructed pages of Laura's diary revealed that she was uh, molested by this Bob figure and was going to tell the world about Ben Horn in quotes. Mm -hmm. Could that possibly mean the secret of one eye jacks because Laura's working there? Right. Yeah. Ben is arrested they know for sure that he's linked to Laura somehow because of the reconstructed page. And so uh, he's arrested and agent Cooper has a vision at the roadhouse bar where the giant tells him it's happening again, but he Hmm. doesn't know what is happening again. And it's revealed through a reflection in the mirror that Bob has possessed Leland's body, then proceeds to murder Maddie in the living room before she can leave. Ah, so the night before she leave, uh, before leaving, because she's going to leave the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, That's when Bob activates and uh, takes out Maddie. And I think this might be one of the best episodes of season two so far. I freaking loved this episode. There was just so much forward movement with the the plot. Yeah. Awesome. No, this was this was dope. And yeah, you see that. That's just what's so crazy too. And then you go back to what she had said before about um, being molested and abused by Bob. And it certainly begs the question, well, how long has Bob been possessing Leland? And we don't find that out until Fire Walk With Me. Right. Because as far as we know, it's just Bob. You think of Bob as like his his actual self, right? With the creepy long hair and everything. Right. But then you realize that oh shit, he's possessing people of the town and he's in Leland's body. Right. Damn. And dude, I freaking love this actor. Like Leland, he's like one of my favorite characters because he was freaking dope. Like his acting, he can do it all. He can be jovial. He can be depressed. He can be creepy as fuck. Like this guy can do it all and he can sing. He has a great voice too. That's right. That's right. No, that guy's talented for sure, and he, he just has a way on screen. It, it's so that so when you see this murder, it's just like it's really intense. Like you, this is this is one of the best episodes for sure of the second season, hands down. Oh yeah, for so many reasons, and of course, you know the, the murder. You see it actually all go down. You wonder yourself like, is this how it went down with Laura? Uh, but you you see that what Bob is capable of. He's not just a creepy looking guy, but he he follows through. Is he in control the entire time, or does he just pop in and out? You know, intermittently, we don't quite know the the semantics of it. Right. All right. What you got next? I got episode nine. Uh, Let's see here. What do I have next? 13th episode is what I had next. All right. All right. Now, I know that I said that the episode seven, Lonely Souls, was one of the best, but I think this may have been my favorite episode. Or one of my favorite episodes. It's pretty up there. I think it may have, it might have edged out the top spot for me, even though wow. it's not necessarily the season finale. But this is what I consider to be the mid-season finale. This is right when 
the tone of the show changes. So like right after this episode, this is where the latter half of season two just turns into almost like an entirely different show. So season two, episode nine, arbitrary law agent Cooper asks Sheriff, Sheriff Truman to not reveal Maddie's death yet, as he believes he is on the verge of solving the case. So they just found out that uh, Maddie was murdered and the giant tried to warn him it's happening again. But the thing is, what's happening again? You know, you got to be more specific. You got to tell me what's going on. So also, I hmm. think he's a little late because he, he sends these warnings as it's happening. And then, and then you got uh, Donna, who brings Cooper and Andy to visit the lady next door to Harold. You know, the little uh, old lady and her like grandson right. or whatever the right. fuck. Like her magic grandson or whatever the hell he is. Kids got skills. They give them a letter containing a missing page from Laura's secret diary. So I don't know how this old lady got a hold of it, but it was separate from the diary. And I don't know if maybe Harold asked her to hold on to it. Hmm. She hands it over to Donna and Cooper. And this was such a fucking cool part of the show. So the page reveals that Laura, much earlier, had the exact same dream of Agent Cooper that he had of Laura, but from her own perspective. <laughs> so they had the the dream of being in the waiting room with the little man dancing, and she didn't know who the whole Agent Cooper was. She just saw this older guy. She feels compelled to like entrust in him the information that she's been kind of holding to herself the entire time. So that's when she walks over and does that whisper into his ear. And it's just so weird because Laura and Cooper never met in person, but yet they met in these dreams years apart. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she had it when she was younger and then he had it after her death. You know what this reminds me of kind of going back to game of Thrones. This reminds me of the hold the door moment oh yeah yeah wow so fucking cool yeah how, how they play with time mm-hmm which is interesting because agent cooper is older in this space even though he he has this vision when he's younger um he has this vision after she's already dead he's still an older man when he sees her that's so confusing <laughs> right so it's like it's almost like he's not supposed to get that vision or he's not supposed to get that information until much later, but yet he's getting it while he's still young from her perspective, it's in real time. So she's giving this information as she's still alive, but then it, the message won't reach him until after she's dead. So she knows who her killer is and says it to him before she actually gets killed. She knew. And she was asking for help. I think she somehow knew to trust him. Somehow he was there to help her. Right. So that's what's so weird is Cooper doesn't even know that he's destined to help her somehow, even though she's already dead. Huh. I think that concept alone was one of my favorite elements of the entire series. Wow. No, it's brilliant. This is where Lynch's brilliance is really on display because it's like, who the fuck comes up with this shit? Right. Yeah, that is uh, that's next level. It's so hard to, to play with time elements like that and to do it well. Um, without there being, I don't know, there's a lot of questions, and I think he leaves it open for that, but it tickles the mind. <laughs> so he, and, it, and it's beautiful too, because it's this, like you said, this sort of premonition. It's almost like they were always uh, destined or doomed, however you want to look at it, to to um, enter each other's world. And, and Cooper was always meant to be the one to, to save her or to 
a finder killer at the very least, right? To not so much save her, but to find her killer since he it's happening all in the past. <laughs> so weird. It's it's like it's already been written and it, it just takes time to unfold. But the roadmap is already laid out. Wild. Yeah. Because yeah. later on, I think they deviate from this roadmap, which is kind of cool. <laughs> in season three. Oh yeah, they play with expectations for sure. Also, what happens in this episode? Donna finds out about Maddie's death and tells James. And James Strip just ditches Donna and rides off in anger. Don't leave me, <laughs> uh, dude, man. I don't. I don't know. I wanted to like James, but that character is so fucking lame. Yeah, he is lame. Everything's working against that character, you know. Like it's his poutiness and like his brooding nature all the time. You're just like, shut the fuck up. What about his voice, though, dude? Just you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that song yeah. too. That song does not help his case. No. I'm I'm trying to see it from his perspective. So James blames himself and thinks that everyone that he gets close to eventually is taken from him or he gets them killed somehow. I don't know. Maybe he thinks of himself as this bad luck. Hmm. So yeah. yeah, I guess that's why he is distancing himself from Donna. Cause he doesn't want the same thing to happen to her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. since he loves her so much. Following his instincts, Cooper gathers up potential suspects at the roadhouse and finally remembers what Laura told him. So, you know how he was like, well, Laura told me who the killer is, but I forgot. Right. Once he gathers everyone at the roadhouse, he, I think he just understands that this is where he needs to be in order to solve the case. And that's when he gets the flashes again. He finally remembers that Laura told him my father killed me. That's what she whispered into his ear. Hmm. I loved how they set this up because they make it seem like Cooper is still not acting on his vision. Cooper makes it seem like Ben Horn is the main suspect and brings along Leland because Leland is his attorney, right? So he's like, Ben, you're under arrest. And you'll notice that Leland is not in handcuffs or anything. Ben's like, what the? Like, I didn't do it, you know? So Ben's like freaking out. (laughs) Cooper's just like, I know who the killer is. Ben, you're under arrest. But once they get down to the police station, Cooper and Truman then hit a swerve. And they throw Leland into the uh, interrogation room. They lock him in there. Leland's just like freaking the fuck out, right? So he's just like, ah! And yeah, yeah. I think now Bob just like is fully on display here. Bob just thrashes all over the place and he's like diving headfirst into the walls and everything. And I think he even like cracks Leland's skull. Mm-hmm. Bob fatally wounds his host, which is Leland, and finally leaves the body. So on uh, Leland's basically last breath, his final moments, he finally realizes that he was the one that killed Laura and Maddie. And he, you know, he feels fucking terrible about it. And my girl, you know, my baby girl, it it was, it was fucking heartbreaking to see. Yeah. Fantastic episode. Yeah. No, dude. I mean, this is why I think it may have edged out the top spot for me because this was fucking great from like start to finish. Yeah, it was gripping. You don't expect any of that to go down that way. And uh, yeah, when when Bob splits uh, Leland's head open, you know, well, Leland ramming his face into, I don't know if it was glass or if it was just the wall, but yeah, he 
just bleeds out knowing that it's he him that did it or at least his body when he was possessed and it's just like what a way to go out you know what horrible like he he was so bereft i mean he was so so inconsolable knowing that is that's that someone had murdered his daughter that he fucking suffocated uh jacques in the uh right it was it was jacques well i wouldn't say no reason but he wasn't the one that killed her Right, but he, he just because he was a suspect, you know, like I, that's it in right. my mind. It's made, you know, he he just wanted to exact vigilante revenge, uh, only to find out that it was really him all along. Like again, just as he's dying of all of all times to find this out that that he's guilty of this, or not so much guilty as he was. It was his body that was being used. Yeah. Oh, that's just heartrending. You know, his performance is so phenomenal too. So, a shout out to Ray Wise, man, the actor who played yeah. Leland, because Leland was essentially written off the show here. But man, he was so memorable. The Leland character was one of the best characters. I will go on to say that I think Leland was a way better Bob than Bob was. I don't know. There's something about Bob that is kind of corny to me. Like he doesn't really scare me or creep me out. But I thought Leland was creepy as fuck. Like whenever he switched over into Bob. Oh, hell yeah. Bob just does a lot of really weird facial expressions and stuff. And he's, you know, uh, smiling and he... Although I'll say that there's that scene in the Black Lodge where he and Cooper are laughing. That's weird. That's like, that's one of the creep. That's, <laughs> I close my eyes. And that's one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. That was a, a great scene because it was like backwards laughing. Yeah. But they're looking at each other. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> to me, this is where there's a turning point in the show and the tone definitely changes. It's, it's definitely noticeable after this episode. I don't know. I'm just glad that Ray, he got to go out while the show was still kind of wrapping up that big story arc. And he went out on high note. Like that was very memorable. He did. I mean, he can go out knowing that that was one of the best episodes, if not the best episode in in that second season. Yeah, unfortunately, I feel like many of the characters just become much less interesting from this point on. Like even Agent Cooper, unfortunately, Agent Cooper, you know, his business is done. They got rid of Bob. They found out who the killer was and he gets his badge taken away and all of his authority and his gun. And he's no longer an FBI agent. I don't know. It's like his character felt really different after that happened. Yeah. I forgot. What was the lead up? Why did why did he lose his badge? I don't remember. The other FBI agents, they felt that Cooper, when he was doing his whole uh, investigation out in Canada with One-Eyed Jacks, that he was actually involved in the the smuggling of drugs, the cocaine and all that stuff. So it's up to Cooper to to kind of defend himself and prove them wrong. I see. Um, What's your next episode? I'm all the very next one. (laughs) (laughs) Was it real? No, no, no. Uh, My next one, my next one. I have 14. Mm. Yeah, I picked 13, 13th episode. So for me, the reason why I chose this one was because this this one has... Uh, Checkmate. Checkmate is the name of this episode. And uh, this one has Major Briggs in it. Major Briggs is Bobby, uh, Laura's crazy boyfriend who is with Shelly feeding Leo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's that's Bobby's... Uh, estranged father. I say estranged only because he he seems to be gone a lot, but he he does live at home. It's just um, he doesn't have a very close relationship with his son, and and Bobby suffers for it. But um, yeah, my whole reason for for bringing it up was mainly that scene uh, where Major Briggs is 
having that moment. I think he's talking about the the owls, and I, it's where he's. Does, I think he's abducted, basically, just disappears. Yeah, in the forest, right? Like he and uh, Cooper are like camping or some shit, and then the owls start hooting and and staring, and then there's that bright light. Exactly, and he's sitting on a fucking throne with vines all over it. Like it's it's just weird because he's in his like full military, you know, regalia. So anyway, but it's just like he's just been sort of this really interesting character who seems to know based on all the research that he's been doing in the military. He seems to know a little bit more about what's going on and finally can shed some light for Agent Cooper. And then kind of it just gets robbed. It just gets pulled pulled away. Not so much robbed, but suddenly just out of control and Briggs, Briggs disappears. And we don't see him for like another couple episodes, right? Right. Actually, that's funny. I had forgotten that he even makes it back. <laughs> Hmm. it's just so it's such a cool it's such a cool scene where they're like he's explaining all this and just um, talking he's describing these owls and he says he recalls seeing the image of a giant owl and he displays the photograph and these photographs are the are the back of briggs's neck oh right and and so he talks about the image of a giant owl when um they look at these photographs of his neck uh they see three triangular scars behind the major's ear kind of looks like that radioactive symbol right right and he kind of regrets sharing this and wonders if he should have just kept this for himself if this was just meant for him (laughs) i'm sorry that's classified yeah it's classified right so then they get into some really interesting stuff he's talking about something called project blue book which is an air force investigation into ufos that uh, apparently ended in 1969 so now we got extraterrestrials Mm, exactly which i don't think they ever really go back to do they I don't think so. No, this solidifies it for me. This kind of like ground, not solidifies, but grounds it. That's a better way of putting it. This one, this is kind of grounds it for me because in before it just seems fantastical, but then he pulls in these scientific elements, you know, mm-hmm. he says they're searching for a place called the white lodge. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So the red room, I don't think it had the name black lodge yet. They didn't call it the black lodge until after they started hearing about the white lodge. Oh, oh. I think Hawk, I believe Hawk is the one that knows like these ancient stories, like these Native American stories about the White Lodge and Black Lodge. Right. That's right. Wow. Yeah, they're still and they're still looking for this escaped uh, partner of of Cooper's Wyndham Earl. Oh, that's right. You know, they revealed him earlier in the season and then now they're kind of revisiting and i think now's when wyndham starts making his presence more known Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's this whole rivalry thing going on with cooper because i think cooper's the only one he's interested in doing these little mind games with Mm -hmm. yeah he's he's basically cooper's moriarty yeah essentially Hmm. oh and let's not forget i think that's also the episode where james on a fucking rents into that woman at the bar like down the road and she takes him home she's like this wealthy woman and that's fucking right dude yeah exactly the whole thing was weird that was weird he's fixing the car or some shit she pays him in sex i don't know and then doesn't he have to like sneak out the butler, butler. and that girl are like in on it like there's like this weird like kink shit going on yeah he's just there to like chill and fix the car that's pretty much it Run away from his problems. Exactly. And I guess he, he broke up with Donna when he drove away because he has no problem banging this girl now. Evidently. Yeah. Like, all right. True love, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what is that one? Your second episode? 
You got three yeah. more? And I know one of them you said was the finale. Mm. Uh, what's your, what are your other two? And then I have 14. I only have two left, so it's 14 the finale. I'll just tell you straight up. Ha <laughs> All right. So season two, episode 14, double play. It's quite a bit going on in this episode. So we got Deputy Cooper, no longer FBI agent, as mentioned previously. Uh, he accurately predicts the wounds of the random man placed in Sheriff Truman's office during the brief blackout. This kind of leads the audience to believe that they have done this before. Like this is a dance that he's done with Wyndham Earl a while back. They have this history. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was what led to his ex-partner getting locked up. But then now he's back and it's it's kind of like Batman and Joker going at it, right? They're playing these little games. Yes, yes. <laughs> they suspect it's Wyndham Earl and the chess game between Earl and Cooper is officially on. This kind of starts the new chapter in their rivalry. The cat and mouse game. Leo has just the previous episode. Uh, he just came to. So now he's about to pick up where he left off with Shelly. But she and Bobby are able to wound him. So, you know, he, he like tosses Shelly to the ground. Bobby tries to fight him off, but he easily gets overpowered. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was such a creepy scene, too, because in the previous episode, I think that's when uh, it has the flickering light and he kind of has like that party hat on. He just has that evil look on his face and he, he finally snaps out of it. And it was fucking awesome. Oh, my gosh, that party. Dude, that was just like too much. I don't know. It's like it's, it's like. I don't know. When you do that, and you're just going to piss that guy off. It's just, you know, oh, yeah. Bad news. So as Leo's just about to kill Bobby, Shelly actually saves his life and like stabs him in the leg or something like that, or his foot. And so he screams and he runs out. Cooper reveals that he failed in trying to protect Earl's wife, Caroline. Or is it Caroline? Caroline? I think it was Caroline. Um, Earl's wife, Caroline. She witnessed a federal crime. So she was going into witness protection and Cooper was tasked with protecting her and he wasn't able to save her. That's also who he kind of had a thing for, right? He had a, he was kind of in love with Earl's wife. Mm -hmm. He tells Truman that he fell in love with Carolyn during the process. And uh, after being knocked unconscious by an unknown assailant, Carolyn was fatally wounded and died in Cooper's arms. Mm. Cooper believes that Earl committed the crime that Carolyn witnessed and that Earl killed her to cover up his tracks. That's how crazy it is, is that he killed his own wife to keep her from spilling the beans. Got it. And uh, Major Briggs informs Truman and Cooper that he believes he was taken to the White Lodge during his disappearance. Hmm. So I don't know. We're, we're still on the fence of whether the White Lodge is... A, a nice place or not you're immediately thinking is this heaven and hell mm, right is this like an interpretation of heaven and hell evelyn tells james that evelyn's that rich lady evelyn tells james that her husband died in a car accident with her and malcolm looking to frame james for the death so the little servant guy and evelyn are like an item and they're in on the death of the husband and now they're trying to frame james because he was a mechanic. Murder. Right, right. Right. Was, mm-hmm. That could have just all been avoided. Like, I don't, James did not need to be in the middle of any of that. Yeah. And then Wyndham Earl, yeah, he, I think it finally shows that he's like in this hideout or something. So you mm-hmm. kind of get, you hear about him, but this is when you finally get to see him and that he's in Twin Peaks in some random cabin out in the woods, you know, being all incognito. Right. 
what's your next one? That's it for episode 14. You get two more and then the finale. Mm-hmm. I think this is all. This is going to be all you until the finale. Right on. <laughs> yeah, boy. I think the one, one of the ones that interested me um, was this episode, um, episode 18, On the Wings of Love. And this one, uh, I believe this is the one where she first meets, uh, where Audrey first meets Wheeler, if I'm not mistaken. Wheeler being, uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Billy Zane. Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. He was actually fairly important in the latter half of the season. I mean, I remember how things end, how he, he ends up flying away and leaves her behind. But I forget how he became so, so pivotal. Um, he has this rapport with Ben. So after Ben does that whole Civil War shit, mm-hmm. he becomes a new person. You know, he, he kind of has this epiphany and becomes a, a good guy. You know, he stops being this piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And he wants to do good for the town. Was it like that fundraiser for the weasel, the endangered weasel? That's right. Billy Zane's character, he comes in to help out with all that. And I guess they're going to develop some sort of, I don't know, project or something out of town, right? That, that's why he has to leave. He's in town to discuss business with Ben Horn. Right, right. That's what it is. His uh, philanthropic uh, endeavors. And I think what's noteworthy about that as well is this is the first time that, that, you've, um, that any of us has seen Audrey not have eyes only for Cooper, but she starts to fall in love yeah, with Wheeler. That's true. How'd you feel about their relationship? I actually liked it. I thought I thought it was uh I thought it made sense. I think they make a good looking couple. Um, I think so too. Yeah. I think he 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 was everything she didn't know she always wanted. I was always hopeful that maybe a couple years down the line once Audrey's out of high school and mm-hmm. she's kind of matured more that her and Cooper could have been an item, but I think they kind of closed the door on that, that, you know, they closed the book on that romance because, you know, they end up shoehorning a new love interest for Cooper later on. I don't know. I just felt like that was way less interesting than what Audrey and Cooper could have been. What I like about Wheeler is that Wheeler was a good positive influence on Audrey and that Mm -hmm. he genuinely cared for her and he was going to treat her well. You can just tell. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he, he was a kind soul. Which is so funny because Billy Zane never really played. I mean, I, I've never really seen him play those kinds of characters. He never really plays like the antagonist, kind of skeezy, mm. conniving. I only remember him for Titanic, Titanic and yeah. the Phantom. And the Phantom, of course. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the Phantom. He, yeah. That iconic purple spandex suit. Uh-huh. With that skull cap and everything. Oh, that was such a 90s movie. It was so 90s. Uh, the cartoon was sick. But the the movie did not did not do well at all. <laughs> I was like, this is, I'm not gonna waste my money. I'm not gonna waste getting my parents' permission to go see this. F that noise. So this episode is the one where, on the wings of love, where Agent Cooper gets reinstated as a federal agent. It's about time. Gordon also reveals that Earl, that Wyndham Earl, has history with Major Briggs, and that they share inter- an interest in the black and white lodges. So that means that not only is Earl there to fuck with Cooper, but he's also chasing the same thing that they're looking for. Exactly. And this is also where uh, Earl reveals that he intends to kill the winner of the um, Miss Twin Peaks beauty pageant that's coming up. That's right. Mm -hmm. That was around the time that they introduced that whole pageant. And this was something that they've been building up for like a few episodes. 
little by little, they're trying to write all of the female actors in the show, like into this pageant somehow. Right, right, right. All the females, exactly. Um, no, so Norma, the one that runs the diner, has a half sister, and that's Annie Blackburn. Yeah. Um, played by the lovely Heather Graham. This is like maybe one of her first roles. She looks super, super young. I did not think she held a candle to like the other actresses on the show. I don't know why they're this late in the series mm. or in the season. They're going to try to introduce a new character and make her more important than the rest. I don't know. It wasn't making much sense to me. You know, I'm, I, do, I agree with you there. Like it feels rushed. It feels kind of like, again, drawing references to Game of Thrones. It feels kind of like the rushed chemistry between Jon Snow and Daenerys, Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah. Very much just, so. It felt just like that. It felt like you're supposed these two are supposed to be together. Like it's a little rushed. I mean, she's she's beautiful and she's she's her sweetheart on camera and all that. Like she seems like maybe too perfect. I don't know. It's like they're they're a match made in heaven, it seems, and then Yeah. I guess my issue with her is that she felt too vanilla. Like she wasn't as interesting as the other characters. The other characters mm-hmm. we already have a history with, you know, we have a rapport with them. They have their the things that we like about them we have their little quirks and everything down but her i don't know i feel like she doesn't really have any quirks Mm-mm. i don't think she's as charming as the rest i don't think she's as pretty everything was just very blah about her i felt mm. like i mean it felt blah it still feels blah but um i don't know i think i mean i've, I've had a crush on heather graham since i was like what did i see her in first i don't even remember the first movie maybe it was austin powers um the second one but I, I just remember being like, wow. So seeing her, I was like, seeing her that she was in this show, I had no idea that she was in this show. And then she shows up and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Little Michael goes, wow. I kind of feel bad for her because she came in at the tail end of the show just before it got canceled. Came and went. Right, right. It's like, hey, we need somebody that's kind of, uh, it's pretty and uh, likable and we got to kill her. So everyone's got to gotta miss her when she's gone. <laughs> I guess. Which to me, honestly, I think if that's what their their whole intent was, it worked because she's an innocent. You know, she's she escaped from you bring uh, in a new character so that way they can be the cannon fodder. That's it, exactly. The cannon fodder. I mean, but she's she's a sweetheart. She's you know, she she ran away from the convent. So she's like this uh wholesome person and uh you know, I don't know, she's and she's lovely and so for for things to go down the way they do it just it just makes you kind of yeah i definitely felt like they wanted to do more with that character yes but i just don't know because i think she even pops up briefly in fire walk with me only mm. for a second like a little flashback thing but yeah. she's not in season three at all i don't even think they talk about her at all which was super disappointing so that was uh on the wings of love do you have another one uh episode 20 the Path to the Black Lodge, which is directed by none other than Stephen Gyllenhaal. That name should be familiar. <laughs> sure is. Jake Gyllenhaal and Maggie Gyllenhaal's dad. I didn't know that he was a director. <laughs> yeah, they're like artistic. Evidently, he's a poet. So Cooper's piecing this together, this chess game, and he's realizing it's gonna, it's not going to end well. That there's going to be some real life or death ramifications here. Um... This is where we find out that Wheeler's got a Billy Zane's character got ahead to Brazil. 
so this is where major briggs this is interesting this was so kind of interesting you didn't realize i mean again this is also rushed like oh, all of a sudden major briggs and earl uh, Wyndham earl knew each other and shit and you're just like oh what and then all this information is coming out so major briggs reveals that earl's been obsessed with doug pus doug pus d-u-g-p-a-s meaning beings of pure evil earl's been obsessed with them like pandemonium demons pandemonium all the demons uh Cooper's believing that um, because he's so obsessed with these evil beings that, of course, the, the Black Lodge is his whole sole purpose for being in Twin Peaks to begin with, which which is really fucking interesting if you think about it. The fact that he ends up there. Cooper ended up there inadvertently because he's investigating a murder. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of anything else that's noteworthy, but. Um, uh... Oh, fun fact about the Miss Twin Peaks episode. Originally, it didn't even have a title. In some countries, it was released alongside the season finale, and it was oh. just given the same title as the season finale, just part one and part two. So it was given the de facto title of Miss Twin Peaks by the devoted fans, and then eventually the networks adopted this title for reruns, physical, and digital copies. Wow, I didn't realize it. That's cool. Oh, another thing? Dude, it took me a while to even realize that Agent Cooper's boss, Chief Cole, yeah. is played by a younger yeah, David his, Lynch. Yeah, the deaf guy, the obnoxious guy, was talking real loud in this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so dumb. Funny. Are you going to say the kiss? Yeah, see, that? you already know. I knew it. I fucking <laughs> knew it. Could I? I just like how he took it upon himself to write a completely unnecessary plot line where Cole is attracted to Shelly and gets to kiss her at the diner. Like, this has nothing to do with anything, but we all know why he probably did it. Was it was cringy. I was like, uh, why God, why? I mean, it was there if all he wanted was a kiss. I just don't see what the point of it was. It's not really important to anyone's story. No. And they don't no. really bring it up again after this. Not. No. That, that was poorly done. That was not, that made no, zero sense. I was like... I remember being angry. I was pulled out of the narrative immediately. And the first thought that I had was this motherfucker straight up made a scene where he could kiss this girl. That's all he did. Just like, you know, just flexing his flexing his power. I mean, this is Machen, so, you know. That's literally what I was going to also say. I mean, like, and that was definitely, she was smoking back in the day, her prime. And it's such an awkward kiss. Like She's like kind of like smiling, like she's like placating him. It's not like, <gasps> like she really wants to kiss him. It's like, could I? Yeah, like he asks her for a kiss and then they like make it so painfully like, I don't know. I felt like it was just an eternity. I don't know. It was, maybe it's just me. I mean, all I got to say is fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and finish this season out. This is season two, episode 22, Beyond Life and Death, the season finale. After Annie wins Miss Twin Peaks, Wyndham Earl strikes and abducts her, taking her into the Black Lodge. So as soon as the winner is announced, the lights go out, things are blowing up, falling down, there's all this pandemonium, all this chaos, and that's when Wyndham Earl snatches up Annie. It's all part of the plan. Mm -hmm. Also, as a side effect of everything falling down, some debris falls on Nadine's head, knocking her out, and when she comes to... She's actually returned to her normal self without having any of the supernatural super strength or anything like that. 
and that further complicates Ed and Norma's relationship again. Audrey chains herself to the bank vault in protest of Ghostwood, while Andrew and Pete show up to see what's in the safety deposit box. And in dramatic fashion, when they open the, the safety deposit box, an explosion <laughs> seemingly kills everyone. I was not expecting that to happen, and there's no freaking way in hell that Audrey survived that. Hot on Wyndham Earl's yeah, heels, the hell? Cooper and Truman arrive at the location of the Black Lodge, but only Cooper enters the Black Lodge. So just by himself, he discovers the entrance to the Black Lodge and finds a way in, so that way he can save Annie from Earl. In a similar setting to the shared dream that he had with Laura Palmer, uh, Agent Cooper, after entering the Black Lodge, is now sitting in what looks to be a red room with Laura in it. And this is where she tells him, I'll see you in 25 years. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, exactly. After kind of wandering randomly through the red room of the Black Lodge, Cooper eventually finds Earl, who demands Cooper's soul in exchange for Annie's freedom. Then Bob kills Wyndham Earl with some flame shit? I don't know. <laughs> I love that description, flame magic shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he pulls what looks to be like a, a fire out of Wyndham's back and then pushes it back into his body somehow, and I guess that kills him? It's, yeah, it's the lynch. Shortly after that crazy shit happens, Cooper attempts to escape while his seemingly evil doppelganger chases after him. That's the iconic scene where uh, the doppelganger, evil Cooper, laughing. is laughing with Bob, and it's kind of doing that reverse laughing, and they're kind of looking at each other when but they like, do it. Practically touching face, exactly. Practically touching their face to one another, and and like, it's like I can't. T I forget who, but I think yeah, cackling, and I think both of them are like laughing, but with like both it's like almost like their laugh smile like they're smiling really big and their teeth look like nutcracker like their, their jaw is going up and down like <laughs> like like miming laughter but with like teeth baring your teeth it's just <laughs> fuck it's it's just it's just gnarly because then you have the lighting in the black lodge but then you have what looks like on their faces is just flashing this blue strobe every now and then like lightning and it's just really like it's too it's like whoa this is like a nightmare it looks like Cooper and Annie made it out safely because when Truman wakes up, he sees both Cooper and Annie lying on the ground at the entrance of the Black Lodge, unconscious. Agent Cooper awakens at the Great Northern Hotel with Sheriff Truman watching him, and uh, he seems a little weird though. Like he wakes up and he says he needs to go to the bathroom to brush his teeth or whatever, and Cooper goes to the bathroom, revealing that Bob is actually inside of him through the reflection in the mirror and he just cackles the phrase how's any over and over again he smashes his face in the mirror basically cracks his forehead on the mirror until he's bleeding and then he just keeps asking mockingly how's any how's any it was a pretty awesome cliffhanger finale if you ask me it was just unfortunate that it took so long for there to be any sort of follow-up to this season finale so, Michael, how's Annie? How's Annie? How, how's Annie? How's Annie? 
How is Annie though? I really want to know. Yeah, dude, there there were like YouTube. I remember watching like uh, the finale, like YouTube videos of the finale, and people like breaking it down in the comments and stuff. And just I just thought to myself, so for twenty five fucking years, that's how the show ended, and it was always one that people would bring up. Like, yeah, can you believe? And this is the end of it. Like, so confusing, right? Like, it just ends this way. And then twenty five years later, now we have an answer, <laughs> and it's not a very clear one. So that is the end of season two. Now we're ready for Fire Walk With Me. Yeah, that was that was interesting. So I was finishing. I don't know. I wonder if part of the reason why I was was watching this show to begin with was because somebody had told me that they were coming out with the third season. I think the homie that told me I liked it better when it was called, you know, Twin Peaks. I think he had mentioned that to me that it was that it was in the works. And so then that really drove me to like, oh, shit, well, if I'm going to watch it, I'd love to, to have the third season like match up. And I got it. I nailed it just a few days before. So I had time to kind of decompress and then that. But then I didn't watch, but because it happened so quickly, I didn't watch Fire Walk with me. And I watched Fire Walk with me at the very end of the third season. And because I think that's when I mentioned to you, like, oh, what the F? This person showed up in the show. Like, never seen this character before in my life. How is he in the third season? Oh, I see. Now I understand. Oh, the prequel. Okay. Yeah. I walk, watch Fire Walk with me and, it, and then it made sense. Anyway, um... And we still don't know what the hell Fire Walk With Me even means. Oh, really? Oh, let me break it. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. Fire Walk With Me. Fire. Fire from their back when you freaking sh- take it out and shove it back in them. He did. He did. Wipe yourself off. You did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have the perfect way to get back into the groove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not just not the other intro but this <laughs> cha, 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 cha. <laughs> oh so God. good man they even have the font down in these goofy shots <laughs> <laughs> or even your legs. year so yeah up. it's not been your day your month or even your year and that guy's just done <laughs> and the three of them around the <laughs> that is so good how did they mo- it's almost it's almost disturbing i'm just kind of sad that i didn't think of it first because i probably could have made a slightly better one i wouldn't say like it would blow anyone's socks off but i think the transitions would have been cleaner because i noticed some mistakes in there mm. and i would have done some different okay. um shots just to match the music more but yeah i mean it was it was still awesome i thought it was well done for sure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i don't know if you remember me mentioning it last time but do you or did you ever look up the twin peaks video game what no what no so it was actually funny before we start recording i discovered that maybe like a month or two ago they released a video game and it's free and I mean, it's not like the full game, but it's it's like a good portion of the game, apparently. And it's called Twin Peaks Into the Night. Hmm. Into the Night is a song by Julie Cruz, who is the one that constantly pops up and performs and stuff like that on the show. Ah. It's retro looking game. So it's like an old style looking game. It kind of looks like it controls like Resident Evil 1. 
if you can picture that. It looks really clunky and blocky oh, like it would on a PS1. Damn, that's cool. It looks pretty cool, and I want to show you the trailer. Yeah, dude. Sick. Oh my gosh, this looks like Goldeneye. <laughs> dude, this I want this song. This song is fucking sick. I, and I think this is only season one that they're covering, but... You see, like, the inventory oh, management? This dude. straight up looks like Resident Evil. I fucking want this game. I don't even play these kinds of games, and I want this game. Damn good coffee. What? Walk around in the waiting room? Hell yeah. They came through. Oh, dude, that is... I almost feel like having it be in this retro graphic style makes it even creepier. Absolutely. Dude, we have to play this shit <laughs> after we record. Well, that's funny. It's, okay, so my um my brother paul he played through a game that was a tv show as well and he understands the relationships between the characters so much better now than he did when we used to watch the show when we were in middle school it was it's dragon ball z okay he he played that game and again like i said he he gets the relationships so much better so i wonder if like playing this game will also in some way help to rem- to like really cuz you're you're now cooper you're navigating this world mm-hmm. and getting the information from certain characters, Bobby and this, you know, Donna and everybody. It seems like it follows season one fairly well, but imagine if you can, you can actually see a little bit more like an extended conversation or a a conversation that never actually happened on the show. Dude, absolutely. All right. So up next, we have Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Released in 1992, directed by David Lynch. I don't know about you. I don't know where you watched it, but at the time, I watched it on HBO Max. So if it's no longer there, then it was at some point. Yeah, that's that's yeah where I watched it. The investigation uh, is underway for a teenage drifter, Teresa Banks, which sort of sets the uh, the tone for the entire. Twin Peaks story, right? That's kind of the the very beginning of where everything started. Mm-hmm. She, Teresa Banks, was the first body that was found wrapped in plastic, and that didn't even happen in Twin Peaks. That was uh, like someplace I I think not too far away. FBI agent Chester Chet Desmond, played by Chris Isaac, and Sam Stanley, played by Kiefer Sutherland, are assigned by Chief Gordon Cole reprised by David Lynch, of course. Hmm. So he's the one that uh, assigns them on the case and they are to go see what's going on with this body that they found wrapped in plastic. Hmm. I guess this is sort of like a prologue, right? Mm -hmm. For Fire Walk With Me. Mm -hmm. It's entirely just Agent Desmond and uh, Sam Stanley. I don't know if he's an agent as well or if he's just like a hired coroner or something but it seems like his specialty is to just take a look at the body specifically um what the hell was up with that girl in the red outfit (laughs) (laughs) no 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 jog memory when agent desmond he lands and they're at the airport well i guess both from land you know they run into cole cole is kind of briefing him and then he's just like oh Here's my cousin or whatever. Uh, come over here. You know, and she starts, she has like the fucking like puckered face and she's like fucking dancing around and shit. What the heck? And, you know, she's wearing that skin tight red dress thing. And it's just really weird because she doesn't really say anything. She just kind of 
mimes shit out. She's essentially a mime. She's like a red mime. Right, 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 right. I was basically just thinking like, what the fuck is this? This is some David Lynch shit right here. Mm-hmm. Straight up, right out the gate. And I think that's the only time you see her. That's the only time she's referenced. They don't even reference her in the third season or anything like that. It's just like, that was, it was a one-off character. Yeah, just a little throwaway. But it is important to note that this is where the whole blue rose thing comes from because she did have a blue rose pinned to her dress. Mm-hmm. And that's in reference to this like sub FBI organization that investigates weird cases like paranormal activity and stuff like that. That's called the blue rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is you're, you're, this is what you're dealing with. The blue rose. But looking at uh, looking at the, the wiki here, what it says is uh, her dance served as a briefing, actually. Her little what they what they're calling a dance. Uh, she wore a sour face, meaning that Desmond would have problems with the local authorities. They would not be receptive to the FBI. It's kind of explained by Agent Desmond in the car ride afterwards. Ah, because that's gotcha. on the way down to the body. Desmond is explaining to Stanley how he understood everything that she was doing. So that's he was the one ah. that's saying like the sour face explains that they're gonna they're gonna get shit from local authorities. She's hopping on one leg, and I don't know like. Everything means something. And then he even explains the blue rose that's pinned to the dress. Hmm. Even Cole does that shit where he, he holds like the four fingers, you know, over his eyes. And that's supposed to signify a jail or something like that. So everything meant something. But hmm. again, I'm just like, why not just fucking say, huh. why do you need to do all this bullshit? Yeah, that wouldn't be him, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be him. But what I wonder no. what what it says about okay, so the, it's weird. I don't know if I feel I get the sense that he just likes to make people feel a little unsettled by things, just out of their comfort zone, just a little bit. I think that's why. Yeah, I think that's that's his sort of appeal. Another thing I noticed though, like right out the gate, you can kind of tell this feels a little different from the show, like there's a way higher production value. Like the cameras are top notch. Everything looked clean Mm -hmm. and the music sounded even more upgraded. Like it sounded crisper. Like the background music to me sounded very, it was like strange and eerie, Mm. just like the show, but it was more atmospheric than the show. If that makes sense. Felt like they were able to put more of like a budget into the sound and like the audio design of course the show had its eeriness as well but i felt like the music was it was kind of campy <laughs> right right you just kind of went along with it but in this one it's it seemed like they wanted to up the ante a little bit because this is a feature length film and that's his that's where he you know got his start so the two of them make it to the police station they examine Teresa's body. Well, I guess it's also important to note that Desmond does get some shit from the local law enforcement there. You know, that little two-person police station. Mm. But he has to put him in the place. Doesn't he, like, break that dude's nose? <laughs> I think so, yeah. We're seeing a little bit more of Desmond. Desmond is similar to Cooper in a lot of ways, but he's different. I think he's more confrontational. Mm. And he he has more of, like, this cool factor and less of a um, childlike wonder that Cooper had. Right. He doesn't have that curiosity. It's it's like he he's all about business and he needs to get this job done. Right, right. He's not trying to swim in it. Not the way that, that, that Cooper in, kind of swam and, and kind of 
took to the town. It was, was just appreciative of, of everything of the town outside of the case itself. Which is, I think, what we all loved about Agent Cooper, you know, the fact that I think you've said it in one of the past episodes that what makes people interesting is when you're interested. So the fact that Agent Cooper was so interested in everything is what made him interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I honestly, I um, but I still like Desmond, too, even though we don't really spend a lot of time with them, just the prologue. I think there's something to be said about how well he gets everything done and like just the efficiency of how mm-hmm. he works. And I think him and Cooper would have been a fucking killer team. I don't think they ever did anything with Desmond after this, <laughs> but man, they would have been fucking dope as a duo. Yeah. I mean, I get the sense they would have been dope as a duo. I, I, I read a little about um, the movie and sort of the reasons why they didn't take on what why certain people didn't sign up for for you know to be on the movie or um or to have really small parts and and he actually was concerned um Kyle McLaughlin was concerned that he would be typecast if he if he did this full fe- feature length film so yeah David Lynch changed the script in order for him to not have to be into in it too much and so I I say this because I I get the sense that maybe Kiefer Sutherland's character was kind of feeling that filling that void that we were going to be looking for with Dale Cooper in that he's got like this sort of ability to to investigate in a way that nobody else really does. Just another take on it. I think Desmond is more of like the prototypical FBI agent that you kind of picture. But I think it's kind of cool that someone like Cooper can also excel in that same way. Right. With such a different approach. So they uh, examine Teresa's body and they find under her left mm-hmm. ring finger nail, mm-hmm. they lift it up, which is kind of nasty. Still nasty. It does a little close up and they yeah. lift it up and they find this little piece of folded paper and it's a letter T. They also find a photo of her wearing a ring, but that seems to have gone missing and no one seems to know where this emerald ring went. Mm. And it's kind of a uh, a a familiar looking ring. <laughs> yeah. And when Desmond checks out Teresa's trailer back at the trailer park, which is actually the same trailer park that they feature quite heavily in season three. Yeah, yeah. With that same old man. Yeah. Um. So he was kind of a dick in this one in the prequel. He was still younger, and you know, he I don't think he was putting up with people's shit around that time because he's just like all these FBI agents are so weird. Like, why not just say what you want? He was kind of giving Desmond and Cooper some shit both at different times. Mm-hmm. Desmond checks out Teresa's trailer and he finds a little something on the ground, like right outside the door or like the entrance to the trailer. So he kneels down and he finds the ring. In like a little patch of grass underneath. But then when he goes to retrieve it, he and the whole trailer apparently vanish without a trace. So no one knows what the hell happened to him. <laughs> and you assume it's the same ring that was on her finger. Because I think you can kind of, you see a picture of her with the ring. And I think you'll see a little ring tan as well when they are examining the body. Mm-hmm. How the fuck does a trailer disappear? And this FBI agent. But yet his car is still there. The FBI <laughs> agent's car is still parked at the trailer park. Right, right. And uh, later on, now we're starting to see a familiar face. Cole and Agent Cooper back at headquarters, I'm assuming, right? The FBI headquarters. Mm-hmm. 
Cole and Cooper experience a vision of Philip Jeffries, played by the god himself, David oh Bowie. God. David Bowie's a how dare you? I, I guess Philip Jeffries is an agent that went missing for several years, but somehow popped back up randomly at the headquarters. But the thing is, Cooper had a vision. He had a premonition. I don't know if he knew it was a premonition at the time, but I think he had a hunch. That's why he kept incessantly checking the security cameras, because I think he knew that that was kind of linked with Philip Jeffries in some way. As Cooper is looking into the security camera from the hallway, just checking to make sure that's working, you see Philip Jeffries walk by, but Cooper doesn't even see or feel him. That's already kind of weird. But mm -hmm. then when Philip Jeffries confronts uh, Agent Cole in like their little office area with like all the desks and everything. Mm -hmm. He says something weird. Like he says something very cryptic, something about, I don't want to talk about Judy and no one knows who the fuck Judy is. And huh. I mean, this is just like such a weird scene. So you have Jeffries saying some cryptic shit about, I don't want to talk about Judy. Mm -hmm. And then he disappears. He like vanishes into thin air. Right. But now Cooper and everyone else can see Jeffries as that was happening. So it's like, how the fuck did he pass by Cooper? But now he's like the solid form that everyone can see. Hmm. There's just like so many questions I have. Yeah. Lady Judy. Oh, not Lady Judy. Uh, Judy. And they don't talk about Judy until like midway through season three, which is kind of weird because this is 92. This is the prequel and then they're already planting these seeds <laughs> for way later. I don't know, man. I don't know how Lynch does it. How's he Dude, keep track of all this? I don't know. I'd be curious to see his creative process. That's crazy. After that weird incident, Cooper is then sent to go investigate the <laughs> investigation of the missing agent Desmond. So it's weird that you have this odd case to begin with, but then it just gets even weirder when another agent goes missing. So yeah, Philip Jeffries that went missing a while back. Mm -hmm. And then now you have agent Desmond that disappeared investigating Teresa Banks. Right. So now you got to send Cooper out there to go investigate and <laughs> figure out what the hell happened to Desmond. Yeah. Fortunately, Cooper doesn't find much of anything. He doesn't really have much to go on other than there's this little area where Teresa Banks trailer used to be. Desmond is nowhere to be found. There's no ring, nothing. The only thing that's left is Desmond's car. It kind of just stops right there. Hmm. The only thing that um, I think we're kind of left with before we get into the present day, I guess you could say, Cooper having a hunch that this might be a series of events, you know, like a serial killer. He's talking into his little recorder and he's he's saying that he has a feeling that this is going to happen again. Uh, he doesn't know when or where, but he knows that this probably isn't the end. And then hmm. we jump to a year later. Boom, boom, boom. Back in Twin <laughs> Peaks, baby. That's right. I got to tell you, when watching this movie, it felt so fucking good to hear that theme kick in. <laughs> you're kind of waiting for it, right? Like uh -huh. you're, you're already 15, 20 minutes into this movie and you're just like, man, where's that theme? Where's the, I didn't get that where's fix. the familiarity? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and as soon as it shows that road leading into Twin Peaks with the road sign, you know, the welcome sign. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it shows the town of Twin Peaks, Washington. Man, it felt right. 
<laughs> I was like, here we are, baby. We're home. Yeah. We're home. Here we are, baby. Shout out to the Twin Peaks theme, man. When you first hear it, you don't really get a sense of how special it is. Mm -hmm. But the more you get into the show and the more invested you are in the characters, the theme itself almost becomes a character. Yes. 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 <laughs> Thank you. You're right. Exactly. It's like there's something the theme so has truly reached this iconic status to me. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like it, it's just like them. It's so it's it is what it is. It's just I don't know. It's moving and it's it, you get transported to their world. Absolutely. It, it's its own character. That's why I said, you know, can't skip that. No, never. I never and skip they came intro. through. <laughs> See, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's weird because it's familiar looking, but everything looks more crisp. Like it looks a little bit more high definition, right? So mm -hmm. it shows the road sign and the welcome sign and everything, but it's clearer looking. And it, it, I don't know, it's just like you're still getting a sense of the high production value as you're going through this movie. Mm. So now you have Homecoming Queen Laura Palmer reprised by Cheryl Lee. It was cool seeing a lot of original cast members return too, but... Um, I mean, we got to address the elephant in the room. Donna was recast. And I think they wanted to address that right out the gate because as soon as you see Laura, she's walking down that neighborhood. She walks past Donna's house. Well, actually, she stops there. And then she calls out to Donna. And then Donna comes out. And you immediately recognize that Laura Flynn Boyle didn't return. And she was actually recast by Maura Kelly. Who... I think you mentioned this before, or you mentioned at least to me before that that was the same year that she also did uh, Cutting Edge, where she's a figure. Yeah, the movie where I she's a figure so. skater. Yeah, toe pick. Yeah, toe pick. Oh man, which Dude, is so she's funny. She's so cute in that movie. She is, but she's and so fucking feisty. And then it's so fun. It's so it's fun to see her in this role where she is more demure, where she's more, where she's Donna, you know, really a, a sweetheart. So you go from this bratty, you know bratty uh, uh performance to that oh yeah kind of a dislikable character for the first half of that movie yeah absolutely don't pick i definitely think that they wanted to just you know what let's get it out there like we're not gonna dick around and play around with this like we're just gonna make it known hey we couldn't recast laura flynn boyle for this role we have maura kelly it is what it is she's gonna do a great job deal with it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she did. I think she did a great job. Oh, she she's a great actress. I, I thought she killed it. Yeah. So Laura Palmer, I mean, we kind of already know what the deal is with her, right? Mm -hmm. um, even though this is a prequel, we just haven't seen the events unfold yet. But, you know, she has been sexually molested by Bob for many years, is uh, also horrified when pages of her diary kind of describing some of these incidents have been ripped out and are missing. So she starts flipping the fuck out, wondering what the hell happened to the pages and who was going through her shit. She goes to visit that shut-in, right? The one that uh, we saw in season two. So mm. this is when she was actually interacting with the shut-in and she ends up giving her diary to him for safekeeping because she knows that someone is watching her closely, but they're not going to know about him. I think in a way, much like half the town, I think he loved her and he kept that promise. He kept the promise till the very end, you know, to protect that diary with his life. Yeah. And that's when he does the, uh, cross the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> with that rake. <laughs> that rake, exactly. That very realistic blood. 
Absolutely. Very that's realistic. Right. I, I wonder how they did that. The blood was uncanny. I was like, am I watching Poltergeist right now? This me- The mirror scene? Is there something? <laughs> they went all out on that budget. That was nuts. <laughs> Man, the, <laughs> the uh, scene where Laura gets visited at the diner, because she works there along with Shelly. So it's cool. Yeah, we get to see Shelly, you know. Her hair looks right. darker, though. Like her, I don't know if that's her natural hair color, but she's significantly less blonde in Firewalk With Me. Hmm. Shelly is helping Laura load up the back of the car for the Meals on Wheels so she can go deliver the meals. And um, Laura is visited by an old lady and a grandson in the parking lot. And the grandson is wearing that weird white mask with the long nose. Right. What's it called? Like the jumping man or something like that? Or the laughing man from the Black huh. Lodge? But I think that's supposed to resemble his face. Oh, I see. The old lady gives Laura this picture this framed picture of a doorway and just says i think this would look nice in your room and laura i guess agrees because she accepts it but they also say that person that she suspects is looking through her room right now looking for the diary and so she frantically tells shelly i can't do the meals on wheels today and runs off shelly's like what the fuck what am i supposed to do i gotta work the diner (laughs) and laura runs all the way home she doesn't know who is going through her shit, who is investigating what. The house is, I don't know, it's like eerily quiet as well. Like there's no one home. No one's supposed to be home. I think everyone's supposed to be at work. I think both mm. her mom and her dad are supposed to be at work. So she's creeping up and sneaks into her room to discover Bob looking behind the dresser. And, you know, he grits his teeth at her and she freaks the fuck out and runs out. <laughs> yeah. Like how he always does. Dang. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, yeah. that guy man i don't know i've throughout the duration of the entire series i've never really been able to take bob seriously he just doesn't come off as scary to me he's just like who the fuck is this guy yeah bob isn't it's just it's almost like it's like a caricature you know what i mean like it's it's like a it's like some sort of soap opera trope or something i don't know just to be so like over the like overacting right like ah like do you really need to i don't know Cooper accomplishes so much with very subtle moves. And so for mm-hmm. him to just like really exaggerate and everything's so affected, ah, <laughs> it feels very, uh, feels intentional. You know, I feel like if, right. if, if Lynch didn't want that kind of portrayal, he would have been like, cut, let's try this again. Kind of tone, tone it down little brother. <laughs> so that's all Lynch. He specifically wanted this guy, this look and for him to just act a certain way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Needless to say, Laura freaks the fuck out. I wonder if this is like the first time she's seen him during the day. Because it seems like he still visits her, but more so in her dreams, like while she's in a dreamlike state. But the thing is, she doesn't run too far away. She's like hiding under a bush and she's trying to figure out who Bob is because she knows that Bob is in this world, in the physical world through someone else, like using someone as a vessel. And this is where it re-explains that Bob has taken over Leland Palmer mm-hmm. because Leland is the one that is shown walking out, just, you know, like nonchalantly walking his car, gets in and drives off. That's where Laura's like, no, no, it can't be. Not him, not him. So I think that's the first time she was able to put two and two together. Right. Yeah, she makes she makes the connection. That's mm, damn. Shout out to my boy, Ray Wise, for returning as Leland. Because he was one of my favorite characters yeah. of season one and two. 
Yeah, exactly. Dude can do it all. I'll, I'll reiterate. Dude can do it all. He can sing. He can dance. He can be comedic. He can be dramatic. He can be fucking mm-hmm. scary. Mm-hmm. I still think he was the best version of Bob. His version of Bob was dope. Damn. Yeah. Very versatile. It starts getting dark now. So this is... This is kind of a sad part of uh, Laura's character arc. Laura goes to the roadhouse where she works as an underage prostitute and is pimped out by Jacques Renault. Mm-hmm. I think Donna sees Laura kind of getting dressed and she's looking a little bit, you know, suggestive, mm-hmm. looking a little bit more risque, but she doesn't look happy. She looks like she's just kind of on autopilot. This isn't something she wants to do, but it's something she has to do. Maybe she does it because she gets good money from it or whatever the case. Because I don't think she's being forced to do it physically. Mm-hmm. But at this point, you can tell she doesn't have a whole lot of respect for herself. And so that's why I don't think she really thinks anything of it. She's just like, eh, whatever. It's a way of making money. Right. So I can get the cocaine to forget about reality. Yeah. Donna, she's concerned. So she tries to... Uh, save Laura here, but Laura's just like, Donna, go home. You have no business being here. Laura actually challenges Donna because Donna's like, no, I'm not leaving you. And so she's like, all right, well, if you want to stay, this is what you're going to have to do. So she starts making out with one of the guys and Donna starts making out with the other just to kind of prove that, you know, she's ride or die. I want to know what the hell this nightclub thing is because I don't think they ever explain what or where it is. Mm -hmm. And this is separate entirely from the Roadhouse as well as One-Eyed Jacks. So this is some nightclub where, you know, they're kind of conducting their business. They're taking it a little bit further. But also, this is an interesting way of showing the story because the music is in the forefront. So the music is drowning everything out and you Mm -hmm. can't really hear the dialogue, but everything is subtitled. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little twist that Lynch threw in there. <laughs> Give you a feeling of what it's like to be in there as well. Yeah, in a way. And I, I was digging the aesthetic too. Everything is just dim and red. Yes. Yeah. And you got this like interesting, I don't even know how to describe the music. It was kind of ethereal in some ways, but it was also kind of industrial, interesting music. Mm-hmm. Donna gets drugged here. So I'm not sure if... Laura also took some drugs here or if she kind of pre-gamed beforehand, but you know, she kind of knew what was up and she let it happen. She let the guy spike the drink. He hands it over to Donna. She takes a swig and you know, she's starting to feel a little loopy from it soon. It doesn't take very long. Soon. Everyone just starts stripping down. Tits just start coming out. <laughs> God, I, I didn't want to get a visual of it, but, um, Laura starts making out with Jacques at some point. Yeah, which was, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> he almost swallowed her face. Oh my gosh, yeah. There's almost like this orgy-like atmosphere going on here. Everyone's just making out with everyone else, and everyone's just there to have a good time. Yeah. Laura and Ronette kind of go sit down in the booth in the corner. Her date starts going down on Laura. She's just sitting there enjoying everything, and then she glances over and notices that Donna... She's like half naked now in the middle of the dance floor or something. She's like laying on a table and she's just out of it. Mm. That almost snaps her out of her state. I didn't realize that Donna and Laura had that type of friendship because it seemed like Laura would use people a lot. She would kind of keep that barrier up. Like she would let people think they're close, but she wouldn't ever let them fully. Right, right, right. But I don't know. It seemed like she had a different dynamic with Donna. What do you think? 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think she she tried to push her away. And when she did try to treat her that way, I think it's just that there's this purity. I think there's something that, that Laura sees in her that she is both jealous of and kind of longs for, wants to preserve even, like... Protect. Protect, exactly. Like, like maybe she wishes she had had different circumstances, I don't know, and just took it that way. Yeah, maybe she wished someone did this for her before it was too late. Yeah, exactly. And so she sees an opportunity to to save a friend and um, and someone who's always been there for her. You know what I mean? Is is only there because she's trying to protect her. And now this is this is where it's led to. So, as much as she wanted to just do her own thing, like get out of my way, Donna. Like, okay, fine. Like, kind of. It's almost like she wanted her to get burned by the pot. You know, so don't don't touch it. Mm-hmm. It's hot. And finally, she's just like, fuck it, touch it. Then it's hot. But then she sees just how far it goes. And part of her that wishes someone had done this for her. It was pretty sad. I mean, it was this whole section of the movie was kind of intense. Mm-hmm. I was noticing that Laura was scolding her like, this is my jacket. You know, don't touch my jacket. This is my jacket. And so she pretty much forcefully removes her from that club. And I think it shows the next morning. I forget which house they're at. I don't know if they're at Laura's or if they're at Donna's. I'm thinking they're at Laura's house. Because I don't think that she would want to go to Donna's house in the middle of the night. So at least she's like, hey, I can at least get into my house. So I'll take you there. Laura and Donna kind of have this emotional conversation. You know, Donna doesn't really remember a whole lot of what happened last night. And Laura was just telling her that she sees how sweet Donna is. And she saw that Donna was trying to be like her. She's telling her basically like, you don't want to be like me. Don't ever be like me. You're better than me. I don't know what you see, but you definitely don't want to be in my shoes. You don't want to be in my position. They hug it out and they're still friends. Yeah. This whole situation, like the whole story arc with Laura Palmer is just, it's really fucked up. It is. Yeah, it is. Just thinking about the fact that at this point, her she knows who's been raping her. She knows she realizes that it's Bob and that Bob is in her father. At this point, that at that in in this particular scene, she's already you know she already knows this, and I'm sure is going through her own personal hell and has to pretend like everything's okay. But that's some wild shit. Yeah, and to hold in and not tell anybody about. Right. So I think a lot of people just thought that she had the perfect life and that you know homecoming queen, everyone loves you, and it's like how bad can your life really be for you to go to these clubs and do cocaine and this and that, but it's, it's pretty dark. Yeah. I guess on the topic of Leland, Laura, you know, she is uncomfortable having had that revelation about her dad and the fact that Bob is the same person as her dad. Things get awkward whenever she's around Leland. Mm -hmm. Um, They're in the car together driving and they encounter some hectic rando guy. That's like, honking his horn behind her and revving the engine. Leland is getting freaked out. Laura's getting freaked out. And we f- we see that it's actually Mike from season one and two. Hmm. So it's mm-hmm. the one-armed shoe salesman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's weird because they pull off the road and they're just trying to gather themselves. Laura's just like, what the fuck was all that? You know, like, did you know that guy? Like, what's going on? And Leland is in a trance. I think he kind of unlocks some repressed memories of Teresa Banks's murder or not Teresa Banks's murder, but just his memory and 
his encounters with Teresa Banks, that's where it was revealed that he was going to have, I think, like a three or foursome with Teresa and some of her friends. But he discovers that one of the friends was Laura. So I think it was Teresa, Laura and Ronette, if I recall, I think they were all going to meet this client. And once he sees Laura, he's just like, oh, shit uh fuck 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 and yeah he tells teresa that like you know what just say i got cold feet here's your money i'm out don't talk about me don't say anything else about me and so teresa's like all right cool free money hmm i think that that's like another layer onto the shit cake right that <laughs> leland was also in this crazy situation where he without even being in bob's state of mind right mm-hmm. he was hiring prostitutes and he almost had sex with his daughter, you know, in one of those situations. And that must have been a fucking super awkward situation to be in. Yeah. Crazy situation. And you're seeing a side of Leland we didn't know existed in the first in the first two seasons. Right. Yeah. You didn't realize that he was also linked to Teresa Banks in some way. Mm-hmm. Bobby and Laura, they need to get some more coke. Bobby tells Laura that, hey, I'm doing a pickup tonight. You want to come with? And she's like, cool, you know, so that way she can get her fix that she needs. So that way she can just not be, you know, thinking about all the shit going on with her all the time. And uh, they meet that guy out in the middle of the forest. It gets kind of dangerous there for a second. You know, he pulls a gun out on Bobby, but Bobby gets the first shot off and ends up killing the guy. I think Laura had already taken some coke before that whole interaction. And she's like cracking up, which made me crack up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and she just can't stop laughing. I don't know. It was, it was cracking me up, too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Laura's, Laura's working her magic on you, too. Yeah, Bobby, it was funny because he's just like, help me bury him. And he grabs like two handfuls of dirt and like throws them on his back like that's going to do anything. <laughs> The situation's fucked. Oh, it gets even more fucked because not long after that, Laura's in her room sleeping. Oh, this is a weird scene. This is a weird scene. Fucking awkward to watch. So Leland, he's, I think he's in Bob mode right now. Mm-hmm. He gives uh, Sarah, that's the wife's name, right? Sarah Palmer. Right. Yeah. He gives Sarah like a cup of milk, but I wonder if it's laced with something because she's out. Maybe it's just warm milk because, you know, warm milk puts people out too. Right. That's true. But she too. was like out, out. But yeah, he gives her this milk, the milk of the poppy. (laughs) You get a a little glimpse of Leland for a second. He kind of politely knocks on Laura's door. She's kind of a little on edge, right? She's like, oh, no, I don't know which version of my dad this is right now. Right. So, you know, he walks in. He's just like, Laura, I'm just I just want to say I love you. I don't tell you that enough type of thing. Gives her a kiss on the forehead. And I think right there she recognized that it's her true dad. She was like, dad? It was a touching scene right before they they take it the complete opposite direction. Huh. So as she's sleeping, Bob creeps in through her window and basically starts sexually assaulting her. I think this is how he normally, I, at least I get the sense that this is how he normally visits her. While she's like in this weird like dreamlike state where she can't quite understand what's happening and she can't quite defend herself. Mm-hmm. And so Laura's just kind of letting it happen. But she... She's still conscious to some degree because she recognizes that it's Bob. It's just like an uncomfortable situation because it's been revealed that she's been getting visited by Bob for a long time, right? Since she was a little girl 
And so I think to her, this seems to be like a fairly normal thing where it's not super uncomfortable for her anymore. And so it's like you have this guy that's like sexually assaulting you since you've been a kid and you start to think that this isn't entirely disgusting, you know, so you kind of just like let it happen. I don't know. This is what we do, I guess. Mm. You know, Bob's like kissing her or whatever. And then she gets a, a glimpse, a flash of like his real identity, which is Leland. His face mm-hmm. turns into Leland for a second, laying over her. Mm-hmm. And she just fucking shrieks, right? She's just like, ah, I think that snaps her out of that dreamlike state. And man, that was, that was something. Mm-hmm. I was, I was super uncomfortable watching that scene. Mm-hmm. Dude. Because you know that Bob and Leland are kind of like the same person right, around this exactly. time. Mm-hmm. But you normally see Bob doing all these acts. But this is when you see Leland doing this as well. And it's like, this is actually what it looks like from the outside. Right. It's pretty disgusting. Yeah. It was super disturbing. Yeah. That's interesting that he made, he makes the audience feel, David Lynch makes the audience feel the same way. In some the the shock at least not the way that she felt but the shock that that Laura mm-hmm. feels in that moment which makes her snap too it's like for all those seasons we saw him as this loving father and all that and so there's all there's all that to go into I mean assuming that whoever's watching uh, Fire Walk with me has seen those first two seasons and was a fan and so therefore wanted to see the prequel so yeah we we have a different idea of him and so to see him in that light for that moment. That frame, yeah, that's just, it's shocking for sure. Yeah. So needless to say, Laura becomes more and more unhinged after that (laughs) traumatizing experience. And, um, you know, she desperately wants to get more cocaine to just erase her memory, like just fucking wipe that shit as quickly as I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she just wants to like numb the pain completely. I think she meets up with Bobby and kind of like, manipulates him into giving her her fix she meets up with james later that night this is the infamous last ride with james and the last time that james ever saw laura before she was murdered which kind of made him suspect number one in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways because Mm -hmm. bobby was the last official boyfriend but the last technical boyfriend was james right right She meets up with James one last time before jumping off of his bike. They have kind of a touching moment. James genuinely cares about her. You know, he genuinely wants to be there for her. And she's like all coked up and she's too far gone at this point. Like she's just like, I don't even want to be alive anymore. So she's like, whatever, Mm. take me home. They're on the way home. But she hops off the bike and disappears into the woods. And James just fucking keeps driving. He doesn't like chase after or anything. He's just like takes off i think in a lot of ways he was hurt because you know he's kind of sensitive himself so i think her just like running away and not really opening up to him after all this time like he you know he's been wanting her to open up and and he wants to see the real laura and he wants to see what's bothering her what's this big dark secret that she's keeping from everyone i don't know maybe he's hurt that she still doesn't trust him so he's just like fuck it i'm out of here so sayonara Later, he expresses regret and guilt over taking off and not chasing after into the dark woods. After that, she cuts through the woods and she rendezvous with Ronette, Leo, and Jacques at some undisclosed location. 
they mm-hmm. venture to this cabin with uh, red curtains and a caged bird out in the middle of nowhere. The four of them have a little orgy in that little cabin. <laughs> a little. They have a little kickback. <laughs> a little kickback. <laughs> <laughs> so hard my palms got sweaty on that one that was good that was good (laughs) a little orgy a little kickback oh my god like that's even remotely the same thing right exactly exactly that's why it's so just the juxtaposition just like what the fuck it's a typical kickback you know an orgy (laughs) we've all been to them right we've all been to typical kickbacks right i mean we all it's no big deal no mbd dude come on euphoria please (laughs) Yeah, that's that's also an uncomfortable scene because you're like Leo and Jacques again. What the fuck? Yeah, Laura's like so fucking far gone at this point. I don't even think she understands what's happening. She doesn't care. That's obvious, right? I think she just wants to forget about that whole situation with her dad. And uh, speaking of her dad, Bob, as Leland shows up, he incapacitates Jacques while Leo takes off on his own. Leland basically grabs Laura and Ronette to some abandoned train car again in the middle of the woods. So I guess it's not that far away from this cabin. After beating Ronette unconscious, Bob reveals that he wants to be Laura. That's his mission. He wants to either be her or he's going to kill Mm -hmm. Laura. Right. The fuck does that even mean? What does that mean that he wants to be her? I'm curious. I'm curious. To what what degree? what does Bob mean by that? Yeah. What does he mean he wants to be here? Dude, I just wonder, like, David Lynch, what's he up to? <laughs> yep. What does he mean? Does he want to possess her like how he possessed Leland? Like, maybe Leland is easier to possess because he doesn't have what Laura has? I don't know. Right. But there's something about Laura specifically that he needs to have. And if he can't have it, then he's going to destroy it. Right. Huh. Um, Mike catches up, you know, he comes out of nowhere and this is his second appearance since that weird car scene in the traffic jam, but Mike shows up and he tosses in the black lodge ring. Apparently this prevents Bob from possessing Laura from what I understand deters Bob from doing what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he tosses in the ring and it kind of thwarts Bob from possessing Laura. So enraged by this, he bludgeons Laura to death. Hmm. The way that the situation was played out, a lot of it didn't quite make sense. Like Mike shows up randomly and if he knew it was going to happen, then why couldn't he have done more to stop it from happening? But yeah, the next morning, the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department finds Laura's body wrapped in plastic <laughs> down by the river. Mm-hmm. Agent Cooper, at an unknown point in the storyline, Agent Cooper, already in the Black Lodge, comforts Laura's spirit. Then Laura sees an angel floating above. And then, I don't know, it's just she gets like fucking picked up or like sent off somewhere. I don't know what the fuck that was about. It was weird. That's interesting. Just um, thinking about it. Yeah. What does that mean? Because I'm like thinking 
Oh, there's so much to never mind. We'll touch back on it when we get to the to the last episode of the third season. There's something to be said about that. Yeah, that was the end of Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, the prequel to the entire series. And uh that was an intense movie. I actually really liked that movie. I thought it was it was a solid movie and it explained a lot, it showed a lot. I think more so than anything, it showed more of what Laura's capable of because in the movie form, you can get away with more than what you can on the TV show. And I think Laura fucking acted her ass off in this movie. Like she, I think she oh. made it a mission to prove that she was one of the best actors on the entire show. Mm-hmm. And she did. She was great. She was fantastic. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. It was, it was touching. It was a uh, roller coaster of a movie. I mean, I honestly, I with her, I don't, I haven't seen anything else with her in it. But I wonder if she was typecast, or if she just wonder why she didn't do much after. You feel like no one really wanted to hire her after this? Maybe, maybe she was, you know, so associated with it. I don't know. Maybe for the same reason, Dale. Uh, sorry, uh, Kyle McLaughlin was concerned about being typecast, like Dale Cooper. Two thousand years later. So, you ready to move on to? Twin Peaks season three, also known as Twin Peaks The Return, as well as Twin Peaks A Limited Event series. We'll just call it season three, just so that way <laughs> it's it's easy <laughs> to say and it's easy to keep track of. Exactly. You can watch this now. Uh you don't need to sign up for it, but you can watch it on Showtime. What I did was Brendan and I we signed up for free. We did the little trial month, but honestly, it's actually not bad. Showtime, you can get it for like 10 bucks a month. So if you really feel the need to cancel after that first free month, then, you know, you can do that, of course. But they got some pretty good stuff on there. Not a bad deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another show to check out. I've looked. There's another show. What was it? Ah, it's escaping me now. Either way. Yeah, Showtime's got good stuff. Wanted to address another elephant in the room, and that is that season three has no Donna at all for this return. So that character is completely missing this time Mm -hmm. around. Allegedly, Laura Flynn Boyle declined to return when approached to reprise her role. I guess they felt it wouldn't feel right to have Moira come back, so they decided to just not have the character appear at all. Hmm. Which is unfortunate. I wonder how Donna's character would have been had she returned. It's unfortunate as well because there was a big bomb that got dropped on season two. Do you remember when Ben Horn kept coming around and she was like, what is your deal with my family? This is Donna asking the question. She was like, what is your link to my family? It turned out that Ben is Donna's real dad. Uh, so Donna and Audrey are half sisters, apparently. That's right. And we'll never get to see what the fuck happens with that storyline. But that was pretty <sighs> juicy. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Well, do you have season three, episode one? Because I do. I chose oh, that I as one of my episodes. No. Ah, right on. No. All right. I guess I'll start. I'm up. So (laughs) season three, episode one, it recaps Agent Cooper sitting in the red room where Laura Palmer tells him, I'll see you again in 25 years. And 25 years later, here we are still in the Black Lodge. It looks like it looks a little different, you know, at least this part of the Black Lodge. It's black and white now. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of old school, little retro. At least I think this is the Black Lodge. They don't quite say, but um, you see the fireman, which is the same actor, but no longer being called the giant. So mm-hmm. now he's the fireman. He tells him several things like 430, the number 430. And then he also says Richard and Linda, two birds with one stone. Yeah, some cryptic shit as always. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't they just say what <laughs> you mean to say? Like, remember when the giant would keep popping up in season one and two and he's just like, it's happening again. <laughs> just say what right, you right, fucking right. want to say. Like, what is happening again? So I can actually do something about it. Yeah, exactly. Don't make me play guessing game. It's already happened. Yeah. Oh, man, this is a weird part of episode one. So we visit New York City. And this is the first time we kind of venture outside of Twin Peaks and we see New York. But we're up in some weird skyscraper where there's there's a strange glass box or glass cell that's constantly being monitored. So there's a bunch of video cameras just pointed at this empty glass box. And there's this guy that just sits there and watches it. It's just no context. This guy's just hyper-focused on this glass box. That's it. Hmm. Pretty eerie. Yeah, yeah. And then we have the possessed agent Cooper, now with long hair and a tan, a bitchin' tan, I might add. <laughs> a bitchin' tan, thank you. <laughs> um, seems like he's just up to no good. He's uh, doing un-Cooper-like things. Yes, un-Cooper-like. Is this also, I'm not sure if this happens in the first episode as well, but we do eventually see a ghostly figure appear in the glass cage, but it doesn't really take much for that ghostly figure to break out and uh, ends up shredding the observer and his lady friend to pieces. It's like this girl that kept flirting with that guy that's tasked with watching this box. Right. And eventually he lets her in and they start making out and start having sex for some reason. Because that's what you do in this weird prison. Confined space, yeah. Yeah, confined space with a bunch of video cameras. But yeah, they start having sex and the the ghost fucking just rips them apart. (laughs) I mean, it's creepy, but the effects were fucking cheesy. Like, do you remember that that part? Yeah, yeah. I remember um, <laughs> I remember not being able to make out exactly what was happening because at the time I was watching the episodes live and how I was streaming them, they were like, it was kind of, it was kind of like pixelized <laughs> at certain points, like the black, like the dark areas, you know, and there were some shadows in there. Anyways, it was just kind of tough. I was like, what, what's happening? Why is, I got shitty quality, but I got to see the episodes as they're coming out, as they're coming out. Right. No, I get it. It was good to see Hawk, Andy, and Lucy again. Those original actors came back. Of course, everyone, everyone from the original series looks much, much older. This is 25 years later, so that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're still at the old Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. So that's where we are with Season 3, Episode 1. What's your uh, next one? Or what's your first one, I should say? My first one... I have episode three, and I can go again if you have something after that. So I have two and three as well. All right. Well, I guess we can combine our episode threes together. But yeah, let's go ahead and cover two. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it starts off with uh, Bill Hastings sitting nervously in his cell. Bill Hastings uh, being played by the guy from um, 
why am I, why am I blanking on his name right now? SLC Punk and from Hackers. Oh, Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard. Yeah. You stabbed me, man. You stabbed me, man. I'll be right back. From Scream as well. Um. Anyway, yeah. So it starts off with him uh, in a jail cell uh, after he's been accused. Yeah, the murder of Ruth Davenport. That's right. This one spreads all over the place, all over the country. Yeah, I loved this particular episode because it spends so much time in the lodge still. I really liked that. Um, I want to know so much more about it. It's just like, what what's going on here? Where are we? It shows a yeah. lot of the Black Lodge. Exactly. And, that, and that's... Uh, then you see a different side of it in um, the, the this following episode. I wanted to say it like four different ways just now. Uh, but but yeah, so you get a little taste of it here a little bit more because it veered off in another story arc for a little bit. And this is where he encounters the older Laura Palmer. How crazy is that? That's She recognized, he asks, she asks, uh, sorry, she speaks to him and tells him he can go out now. Mm. And when he asks if it's Laura Palmer, she gives the same answer as before in the lodge. I feel like I know her, but sometimes my arms bend back. It's so weird to see Cooper in the state too, because it looks like he's sitting there waiting, just kind of chilling, but I don't think he realizes how long he's been in the black lodge. I think to him, it's like, Oh, you know, I've been in here a while, like a couple hours. Little does he know it's been 25 years and like life has pretty much passed him by at this point. Right. Saving the, saving Annie's life and trying to investigate Laura's led him to this place and being stuck here for 25 years. Damn. I'm kind of curious, like, who is this, this Laura, you know, which, which version of Laura is this? Yeah, I, I'm not even sure if it's Laura, like the real Laura to begin with. I think it's a doppelganger because I think she does some weird, crazy shit. Like, doesn't she get all evil looking or like she, she starts acting all weird? Yeah, suddenly, yeah, she screams and and uh, a force pulls her up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so that's, I think that's where it shows like the fluttering uh, curtains. That's right, yeah. I wonder if she got like plucked up out of the Black Lodge somehow by something. Maybe that angel that we saw. Right. You know what? I think you're right based on what we find out later. I think you're right that that, that, that was her doppelganger. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of weird because, you know, the whole Dougie Jones thing. So I don't know if that's necessarily even a doppelganger. I wonder if that's or maybe that's a doppelganger for Bob. Yeah, I don't know how he created that. But yeah, that was um, that was an interesting, interesting episode just for that alone. Spending more time with those two characters, the two the two main characters, if you think about it, um, Agent Cooper and Laura. Mm-hmm. How do you like his evil look? the leather jacket and the long hair. It's cold. It's very different than the laughy, giggly, how's Annie? How's Annie? How do you go from that to this version of Agent right. Cooper? What did he go through in those 25 years outside of the lodge that made him start acting more like this instead? Maybe he was just gloating. I don't know. Maybe he was just laughing at Agent Cooper for having bested him at the very end of the second season. Hmm. How's Annie? Just met, just fucking with him, and then, and then now it's like, no, this is who I really am. I'm just gonna fuck shit up and kick some names and take some ass. That's right, an ass he does take. And- <laughs>
Yeah, the other thing that I really appreciated about this episode was the the music. I I, I remember them playing music before, but this this particular season, the music's just off the charts, and I'm just thinking like how excited these artists must have been to work with him and who must who who are they that they would be uh tapped by him to to be the one to perform a song on his third and final season of this show that's you know spanned 25 years but uh the the music was played by the chromatics at the end and they played the song shadow and the lyrics of that song are so so beautiful but it's like uh, shadow, take me down with you for the last time, for the last time. And so when, you know, so we're kind of writing this, for me, I was writing the swell of the nostalgia of getting to finally see these characters again and go along for this ride. You know, what happened to Annie? You know, she died. Well, how are we going to resolve this? What's what's next? You know, with, is he going to find Annie? I mean, there's all sorts of questions that were left up in the air for me like I just I guess wasn't sure and then and then this song comes on and I'm just like wow I think it perfectly encapsulates like the beginning of this new stage for him this new journey he's going down uh like he's like the shadow he's going he's chasing the shadow down for the last time do they ever address Annie at all in season three no because I don't no, remember not... them talking about Annie at all I don't think once I don't think at all do they bring her up they're supposed to make you like her because she's the love interest for Cooper and then she wins Miss Twin Peaks and this and that. But it's just like, honestly, there's no fucking way in hell that Heather Graham would take Miss Twin Peaks over Shelly. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn. Machen had that in the bag. Yeah, she's absolutely beautiful. Crazy. And I still curse David Lynch for that useless scene. <laughs> where he Dude, got to kiss her for no fucking that's reason. Like, that's immediately like my mind goes there too. I'm just like, what the, what the, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there are so many beautiful women on that show though that comes into play, but, but yeah, to your point, it's like, it, 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 it felt so fucking rushed. It felt like game of Thrones shit where it's just like, Oh yeah. You know, I think we brought this up before, you know, Jon Snow and Daenerys, like there they are. They're, they're meant to be. And it's like, really, were they though? I felt like the other love stories between people they were with before are way better and way more convincing this just feels like we got to tie yeah. this thing up so let's just uh here you go annie you're the you're the one so episode three episode three let's see what happens in episode three we got agent cooper he's been told by the older laura palmer that he's able to leave now but mm -hmm. there's a caveat so he says or she says that others need to return in order for him to leave they have to swap, essentially. That has to be a one-to-one. -one. And we'll see how that plays out a little bit later. We got Cooper descending through the void and showing us a little bit more of the Black Lodge. All the, the crazy ideas that Lynch can muster and kind of build out this world of the Black Lodge. But we got Cooper dropping into a strange place with an eyeless woman. They don't really talk backwards here, but or do they? They still talk backwards, but it seems like more disjointed in a way. Mm. It's almost like delayed. So they're talking. You can see their mouths moving or at least her mouth moving because right. I don't think Cooper really talks or says a whole lot he, while yeah, he's he venturing yeah. through the Black Lodge. He's just kind of experiencing everything and he's the audience's surrogate here. But yeah, mm -hmm. she's she her mouth is moving, but the audio is kind of delayed. So it's that's why I'm saying it's kind of disjointed. Mm -hmm. 
yeah it's also like this weird like scratchy pitch too so all that like it's disjointed and it's scratchy but it's not necessarily backwards and the and the set looks uh the, the setting where, wherever they're at it's all black and white and it's just it just feels like old timey in a strange way it's just a room with like a fireplace in this couch thing that this eyeless woman chills at and that's pretty much it. Like, not a whole lot going on here. Yeah, but I remember watching it and just being so confused. Like, what am I watching? I remember like taking a, a like a, a real like a step back and just like seeing this on screen. And I'm like, what does this have anything to do with anything? I was so confused. I was like, where <laughs> is this place? Like, if anybody were, were to walk and you know see see what's on TV right now, they'd be like, what the heck are you watching? <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. If, if someone came in and was like, hey, so uh, what's going on here? You're like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> we're in the same boat here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It gets even more disturbing because now there's this loud banging at the door. Oh my gosh, yeah. She's saying her gibberish and she's kind of like rushing to get Cooper out of there. You know, she's motioning for Cooper to stay quiet. Cooper's not fucking saying shit anyway, so he's like, whatever. I know. <laughs> you know, she leads him over to the roof of this floating pod in space. And that's it. Bro, this is this is I just just made the connection. This is like David Lynch's Odyssey. Like he's making he's having Cooper come make the journey back. Right. Like like Odysseus had to come back from the war. This thing leads him this way and this thing leads him that way and it's just like fuck, <laughs> he just wants to get, you know, home. Yeah. Get home. He's just trying to That's make all. it back, but he has to jump through so many freaking hoops just to do that. It doesn't stop there because the woman pulls this lever on a mechanism, shocking herself, and then just fucking sends her drifting into space. So she like sacrifices herself. <laughs> I wonder if this is all part of like her destiny or something like she she understands that this is her mission. This is her purpose is to wait until this guy shows up and then she can activate this mechanism. But then, you know, she has to be sacrificed for that as well, which she understands. So, yeah, she gets shocked. And then Cooper returns inside the pod. The mechanism on the wall begins humming, which seems to be trying to pull evil Cooper, a.k.a. Mr. C. I guess that's what he's referred to, Mr. C. Mm -hmm. It starts pulling evil Cooper out of the real world. This mechanism, I think, is linking all three characters. So it's linking real Cooper in the Black Lodge, Mr. C, evil Cooper, and then a third person, which I guess might be Mr. C's doppelganger, Dougie Jones. And so it's trying to pull those two back into the lodge. That's when they start getting sick and they start spitting up that weird black goo. Mm -hmm. Dougie and Mr. C attempt to refrain from vomiting. And the real Agent Cooper slowly gets sucked into the device. Like he's getting eaten from like his head to his feet. Mm -hmm. As that's happening... He's exiting the Black Lodge, but like how we we're saying before, when you leave, someone has to take your spot. It has to be a one-to-one -one exchange. Mm -hmm. I think the whole point of Dougie Jones being created by Mr. C was because of this moment. Like I think he knew eventually that it was going to get to this point where he was going to get called back into the Black Lodge. And in order for him to bypass that, he needed to create like a second version of himself in the real world. And both got called back in, but Mr. C is going to be more aware. And I think he's going to be able to resist it more. Dougie is in some undisclosed house and he's, he throws up his black shit onto the, the carpet and then like falls unconscious. 
basically Agent Cooper is pushed out through the electrical socket where Dougie passed out. So Dougie was the one that failed to battle the call of the Black Lodge. His consciousness gets pulled back into the Black Lodge and then Agent Cooper gets sent out from that electrical socket. And I guess now he is going to be inhabiting Dougie Jones's body and Mr. C gets to remain in the original Cooper's body. So Mm -hmm. I hope I explained that in a way that made sense, but that's all that was happening at this moment. My favorite phrase was battle the call of the black lodge. I like that. That was a great (laughs) way of putting it battling. He lost the battle of the call of the black lodge. But this is such a weird, weird concept. Like, why is he getting sucked into electrical panel and spit out from an electrical socket? Like, this whole concept is just really mind-boggling. Out of his brain, out of, out of, out of someone's mind. Could be Mark Frost, I suppose. I mean, they co- collaborated, so who knows? But that's a that's a fucking strange. I what I just I was watching it and I I was just like I'm along for the ride. I don't even fucking know what the fuck's going on right now. People coming yeah. out of fucking sockets. You're like, sure, sign all right. me up. Yeah, all right. Let's see where this. I gotta know how this thing ends. <laughs> Take me there. Let's do it. Now Cooper is back in the real world. You know, as Dougie Jones, he's in Dougie's body now. We don't really know what is going to happen after that yet. So I think it's you, all you see is just him coming out of that electrical socket and you're just like, okay, (laughs) exactly. And then while that's happening, director Gordon Cole, Albert and newcomer Tammy from the FBI, uh, they investigate the murder case involving major Briggs's headless body, which isn't known yet at that time, but you see, you see the body of this, uh, heavy set man. But with the head of a woman, which is kind of weird. That's also some crazy shit going on there. So yeah, that all that was episode three. That was a hell of an episode. <laughs> it was a doozy. Watch that first step. That's it's right. a doozy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Two episodes down for me. So I don't have my next episode until seven. Do you have anything before then? <laughs> I grabbed six. Ooh, nice. All right, what we got? Let's see. I mean, this one, I don't know. I liked I liked the early world of Dougie for, for me. It got to the point where I was like wanting to like gouge my eyes out. It was going so slow. And I'm like, I love this <laughs> show. But my God, you're asking so much of me. I'll go along. I will. I will see this through to the bitter end if I have to. But all God damn <laughs> fucking shit. I was just like, give me something. Dougie's just killing yeah. me right now. God, let's get to all I could. It, it, it's like he intentionally wanted to fuck with us to make to, to just withhold what we wanted, which was Agent Cooper to finally be back, kick some fucking ass, like smash Mr. C and like win the day. And so you're just, you're, I'm holding my breath, but I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be great. Whatever David Lynch does, but but I'm really, he's trying, he's trying me right now with Dougie. Um, so yeah, I think the early episodes with Dougie, when you're still just figuring out like, what is this guy up to? Like, what's his deal? What's going on? Why this, this world now that agent Cooper is inhabiting and is in, in uh, unable to speak about, you know, like he's why can't, why, no words, nothing. You're just like, gosh, what's happening? Get, get well, I mean, it. he says stuff, but he, it's very limited. His vocabulary is very mm. limited 
and you, this is Cooper, but not really Cooper. This is like a Cooper on autopilot, you know, like he's, he mm. barely has any function at all. Very minimal. And so it's just odd because, you know, obviously Cooper's so sharp and you're like, what's happening? What's going on in this guy's body? Like is, is Cooper, is there something like within his body that's with, that's keeping Cooper from being able to speak? Is it because he's not in his own body that things haven't like lined up? Like what's, what's the deal here? And so I was hoping by the end of this episode that things would be all resolved, but uh, evidently not. Oh, no. They wait until the very bitter end. The fucking most bitter end, for sure. Even though his interactions are very limited and the things that he's saying are very limited, mm-hmm. he's showing more attention and care towards people, showing more compassion just in those limited uh, interactions. And... I think he starts slowly winning people over. And I think that that's kind of the, the funny irony of Dougie Jones. Somehow he's winning these people over that fucking hate his guts and have <laughs> this vendetta or agenda against him. Yeah, exactly. And with his limited speech. And no one really questions it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, to your point, what do we really know about who Dougie was before? Yeah, maybe he was a shitty, shitty person, but like, was he able to talk better than this? I mean, I got to imagine, yes, but I don't know. And so why, why the fact that nobody questions it is kind of baffling to me. Like They just go along with it, you know, especially his wife, who's just, she could just carry on the conversation by herself. <laughs> I wonder if he was such a piece of shit that the, any, they would take quiet Dougie over normal Dougie any Damn. day because Damn. he's just so much easier to be around being in the state. <laughs> shit no it's true because then i mean then then well if his mouth is shut then he's then the 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 assumption would be that he's listening right if he can't speak if he's not speaking they don't know that he can't speak but he's not speaking so he's so he's listening more and he's gathering information it's like perfect for agent cooper in that sense because that's what he loves doing learning and and interacting with people and so he's just like bring on the information sort of um, in this really gimped state where he's not quite fully himself. He's being reborn. Like he's, he's like a child again. Oh my gosh. What the hell? What the hell? Yeah. That that just, I never, I never made that connection before. Wow. So he inhabits that, that's crazy. So he's in the, but they don't go through that explanation, but that's, that's like, it makes total sense that he's does. He's got to learn to speak again. He's got to learn all these things. So it's not, you're right. So it's, okay. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I think if nothing else, if this character of Dougie Jones didn't really land for a lot of people, I think it it gave Kyle McLaughlin the room and the runway to really showcase more of his acting ability. Yeah, exactly. And excuse me, convey so much in each of those roles, you know, especially though as Dougie, because he can't, he doesn't really have a vocab- much of a vocabulary. So it's like facial expressions and all that. And it's just like, so again, so endearing. How the hell he, he pulls that off. It's just like, oh, <laughs> so good. All right. Season three, episode seven. Um, so this would be my third episode. We have Hawk discovering a letter hidden in the bathroom stall, which are missing pages from Laura's secret diary given to Harold Smith. And then one of the page details 
that Laura saw Annie Blackburn in a dream who told her the good Dale is in the lodge and can't leave. Mm-hmm. Didn't we get a glimpse of this in Fire Walk With Me, if I recall? Like, doesn't Annie pop up for a second? That's right, briefly. Yeah. And it doesn't really tell you a whole lot. It's just the whole, like, the good Dale's in the lodge, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, what is she supposed to do with that? She doesn't know who the hell Dale is. Yeah. And then Hawk questions how this is true when Sheriff Truman saw Cooper and Annie leave the lodge. So he's like is this like, is someone fucking with me? You know, how legit is this? Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, why I also chose this episode. We finally get to see who Diane is. Oh my gosh. Yes. Finally, man. (laughs) So this is the same Diane that we've been hearing since episode one. Honestly, I never thought I was going to be able to see Diane. I thought for sure it was just going to be like one of those characters that they just kind of write off or whatever. But actor Laura Dern is the one that ends up Mm -hmm. playing Diane. So that's kind of cool. Great actress. You know, I don't think she disappointed me. No, not at all. No, I thought she, if anything, she, she kind of brought more gravitas to the show. Yeah. So Diane meets the imprisoned Dale Cooper he got imprisoned after he was being sucked back into the black lodge and flips the car. So that's where he is. And Diane meets Dale Cooper while he's locked up, but recognizes that this isn't the Cooper. She knew she doesn't like him. Mm -hmm. There's an assassination attempt on Dougie. So this little person called spike or the spike tries to kill Dougie out in the open and so they're walking through the main entrance and the spike tries to pull a gun, but Cooper instinctually disarms the spike, forcing him to painfully retreat. So he sees the gun, he pushes uh, Naomi Watts out of the way and, you know, he disarms the spike. That kind of makes Naomi Watts's character even more hot for Dougie Jones. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's her name. Janie E. I kept forgetting what Naomi Watts' character was. Janie E, which is a stupid-ass name, by the way. Janie E. Almost as stupid as Sunny Jim. Almost. Thank you. Oh, my God. When I heard that name. Punch things. I already thought that kid was kind of lame. Yeah. Someone named Janie E and Dougie Jones would name their son Sunny Jim. Seriously, Sunny Jim. Awful. That character sucks. That actor sucks. He can go fuck off. He can go suck on a dead dog's nose. Damn. That's a little extreme, but all right. I'll allow That's it. all right. All right. I'll allow it. I mean, hey, it's good enough for the kid from Dick Tracy. It's good enough for me. Oh, I will say Janie E takes Dougie to the doctors just to kind of get an opinion about what's going on with him. Because mm-hmm. she knows that he's acting off, but she wants to know if he's like sick or what. Brenda, when she saw Kyle McLaughlin take off that shirt, she was like, damn. (laughs) Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin, he's in damn good shape for this role. Dude, that's right. (laughs) He's all tan and he's all buff and everything. Like, Uh dude, he put in the work. Yeah. Dude is jacked. (laughs) Which I don't think he was jacked when he was younger and was in like Blue Velvet or I thought he was just slender. That's all. But wow. Yeah. And so, of course, Janie E sees him uh, as well, which I did. I don't know if Dougie looked the same, but yeah, upgrade in every way, as you said. 
fuck it. Shout out to Norma and Ed for finally ending up together in the end. Like they kept having this like on again, off again. Like, I don't know, like we, I want to be with you, but I can't because my husband's out of jail or whatever. You're there was always some shit going on between them. But Mm -hmm. now Norma and Ed finally get to be together. So that was kind of nice to see. Yeah. At least David Lynch gives us that. They give us something, you know, like at least at least they get to ride off into the sunset despite being so late in life. But right. Very few people in Twin Peaks get to do that. So it's kind of nice that they got to do that. Yeah. So my next episode is uh, episode 16. So I'm, I'm sure you have something in between there. So I picked I picked the eighth. Yeah. Yeah. Man, and again, me watching it when it was being released, the the streaming was terrible. But this was where we start getting into the creepy people in like the from the Black Lodge. That's all. It's all in black and white, and you have that guy reciting oh, that whole. What are they called the Forest Men or something like that? Something like the Woodsmen. The Woodsmen, right? Right. I'm like, what are they? Is this like now that I think about it, the only thing I can. The only thing that I can kind of like relate them to is the demons from the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze and uh, what's her name? Demi Moore. Yeah. So they, they, they kind of grab people and sweep them up. Right. And, and take a ghost who's evil and, and bring and like bring them down to hell, essentially. But they just kind of appear. Right. And they're and they're relatively quiet. And these people are, too. And they just leave a wake of destruction uh, behind them wherever they go. And this just like puzzled me. That's all. I just was, I was confused by what they do, how they like, they're just like eating people or like what power do they possess? Like where where the hell did they come from? I mean, are they from the black lodge? Did they, did this open up? I mean, do you, do you know, like, did they just by, by agent Cooper coming back, did he bring with him this sort of evil entity? What I want to know is what is their connection to Bob? Because they kind of revive him every time there's like harm done to mr c they fucking like regenerate him which is fucking weird like it's almost like they're like digging the injury out of his body and then when he wakes up he's fine yeah they keep him alive which is interesting because they take life from everybody else is this are they are they like dark matter is that it (laughs) i actually really don't know yeah i don't know question i really don't know how far he got into it but he does talk about space and everything so i don't know What'd you think of the fact that that guy actually, that little goon guy got one up on Mr. C because up until then, Mr. C is hot shit and you know, he kind of runs everything and no one steps up to him, but that guy actually tricked him. You know, he took the bullets out of his gun and Mr. C tries to cap him and he's just like, huh, I know you're going to do that. So I went ahead and removed the bullets and then he ends up capping Mr. C. So that's how we end up seeing the woodsman regenerate him. Right. That guy ends up driving away and we run into him later on back at like the goons warehouse. There's a whole arm wrestling contest and everything. <laughs> and uh, Mr. C has to go through that tall guy to get to the guy that shot him. I just thought it was kind of cool that that guy was actually able to get one up on Mr. C. Yeah, exactly. Who's been there. Who's like, like evil incarnate and seems to see, I mean, he basically, he seems to have anticipated everything that does come his way. Like it's like rehearsed almost. And then, so for him to get, to get, you know, one up to like that, it shows he's not invincible. I like that. And then what the fuck is the God of light? 
Yeah. Oh, right. Right. Is um is is that what kills? I'm, I, he was just asking that question. I think he was saying that when he was, or when they encounter some sort of car driving by, but this was a flashback. So the, I think this is the one of the earliest times that the woodsmen show up chronologically. I think they mm. show up at that radio station. This is when there's like that weird insect thing that crawls into that little girl's mouth, which there's been theories that people have said that was Sarah Palmer because that's around the, the time that Sarah would have been a oh. preteen, either a teenager or like a preteen. But right. yeah, they're saying that Sarah has been possessed or has been targeted for a long time as well. So it's it might just be the Palmer family. Hmm. But I forget what he was saying into the radio because he was saying like a whole phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find the actual phrase that they say. While you're while you're looking for that, dude, one other thing that I really loved about this episode was um the nine inch nails performance. I love I, I know how I'm I've never really grew up listening to nine inch nails, um, like at all. And I never, I mean, I didn't go out of my way to, to listen to any of their music. It wasn't until I saw this episode and I watched them perform this song. That was a dope performance too. Bro, thank you. I was so, it was like, sometimes the music was was t- t- like as riveting as the episode itself. I, just the performance, the curtains, the the light, the way his face was. I've listened to the, the actual um, uh, record, the album recording, and it's not the same it's a, I think it's a different recording, uh, but it, it just it it moved me. I don't even think I don't even know if it sounds the same as the album at all. I think he 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 made some variations, but it was just like, what the hell? She's gone away was the song. She's gone. She's gone. She's gone away. And then that and then that cry. It's almost like it's like this affected cry. Oh, ah, right. From Trent Reznor. Yes, exactly. Oh, it's like, it's almost like a laugh. The way it comes out, it could be a laugh. It could be just a really heartrending cry. Um, But the whole song is just so slow. I think the rest of the musical guests were a little bit more, chill you know a little yes. bit more laid back but yes. they needed this like this kind of heavy industrial band for mm-hmm. this episode because there's just a lot of weird crazy shit going on you know with the woodsman and just like the whole reveal of how the black lodge came to be and this and that but i, I also have the quote for the woodsman oh dude he said this is the water and this is the well drink full and descend the horse is the white of the eyes dark within and he just kept repeating that dark within the horse is the white of eyes dark within there was a horse that appears when there's a horse that you get a glimpse of when when laura palmer when the doppelganger or whoever that laura palmer is in the black lodge in the second episode we were talking about where when she's pulled up after she screams she's pulled up and as she's pulled up in the and the curtain the curtains blow back there's a glimpse of a horse there. Right. I did see that. So I wonder if that horse, like the one that keeps popping up in the house, like, you know, sometimes I'd just be in the living room. Is that supposed to be a bad omen or because I always thought that I always associated that as something more positive. 
Right. Well, it's certainly not Bob. And it's more like, you know, you think of horses. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking of the connections now. Just, I don't see it as a bad omen either. That quote, I'm wondering what significance the horse does have. Maybe some sort of like battle. I don't know. Owls, horses, the hell. Can you say that phrase one more time? Sure. This is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes, dark within. Huh. That's such a cool. Is that a better poem than my heart burns there too? <laughs> <laughs> my From heart it? burns there too. Yeah, but yeah, it definitely is. But I mean, that's supposed to also be like some 11 year old kid. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm all nice. Try Stephen King. Nice. Try. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, this is this is especially with as. <clears throat> out there i mean that's a it's an interesting connection to make that, that you made just now between um those poems because i feel like stephen king's worlds are so full and and eerie in their own way but they're not david lynch eerie that's for sure mm. and so the quality of this poem is very you know you're thinking about this poem and its relation to the show i'm not even talking about the movies because the movies are a little bit more toned down and grounded mm -hmm. um as weird as they are they are a lot more grounded than the novel oh, so the yeah. novel gets into some weird like interdimensional shit right that yes. they don't put in the movies yes yeah yeah so when you brought up the horse my first thought was it's a good omen. And I thought, oh, I wonder if like in it where the turtle is a, 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 or tortoise, whatever it is, I think it's a tortoise, um, is crucial, is a, is, is a helpful being. I wonder if this horse in some, in some way is a bringer of good omens as well. Anyway, crazy, good music. David Lynch is masterful in not only storytelling, but the music selection. That's not even the final thing that happens because we have one more thing in part eight, and that is the atomic bomb going off. Right. This kind of links back to something that happened recently, which is Oppenheimer. So this goes back to the Manhattan Project. Mm -hmm. And apparently in the Twin Peaks lore, the atomic bomb test for the Manhattan Project was what opened the door to the Black Lodge oh. and is what released Judy. Bob was one of the things that was born from Judy. And it's cool because it gives us like an origin story of how all these things happened. It came from something so evil as like creating this weapon of mass destruction, right? Mm -hmm. But also what we've been introduced to is that Bob is always like the main villain. He's always like the epitome of evil, you know, season one, two, and he even has, well, Firewalk walk with me and he even has a role in season three, but what it kind of shows right here is that he's not even the top dog. He answers to Judy. And so that kind of thickens the plot a little bit. Like who the fuck is Judy? Mm -hmm. Even more questions. Yeah. Yeah. Even more. Philip Jeffries is no fucking help because he doesn't want to talk about Judy. And then he just goes and turns into a fucking tea kettle. Oh, shit. Do you remember that? Vaguely. What the hell? At some point, Cooper, he is taken to, I guess by Mike, he's taken to Philip Jeffries. And Philip Jeffries is now this black tea kettle looking thing. Right. Oh, that's what it is. 
I'm trying to see if I can pull it up. This fucking thing. Look at that. That's Philip Jeffries. Wow. <laughs> Damn. Wild, huh? Makes yeah, no damn sense. None. Why? What's the symbology behind that? But yeah, I was just thinking that it was kind of cool that they were referencing the Manhattan Project and Oppenheimer just came out not too long ago. Ah, uh, That's wild. Yeah. I forgot about that whole scene. That whole scene reminds me of Kubrick, or at least what I've heard about 2001, A Space Odyssey, and then... Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Terrence Malick, uh, Tree of Life. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Highly recommend it. It's like visual poetry, but it's it's like it's a story of a family. And then all of a sudden it goes into like creation and like dinosaurs and stuff like that. And you're like, what? How did we? This was about a family in the 1950s. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for them to um, do that. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. My next one is 16. Did you say you have anything else before that? no what happens in episode 16 we got mr c and audrey's son richard they arrive at the coordinates i guess they're looking for a way into the white lodge from my understanding mm. mr c doesn't want to go back to the black lodge so i think he's trying to look for the white lodge he was given a couple coordinates but um he wasn't sure which one's which so he kind of becomes chummy with Richard, you know, they become buddies in a way and he sends Richard into it and that dude gets fucking vaporized. Hmm. He was a fucking piece of shit himself. So <laughs> yeah, fuck that. No guy. one cares about him. Yeah. No, it, it's just kind of sad because you have Shelly's daughter that is kind of a low life. And then you got Audrey's hmm. son who's a piece of shit. And just seems like everyone's kids didn't really amount to much in this town. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, um, Richard gets vaporized by what looked like a bunch of electricity on top of this boulder, which is also, again, calling back to electricity. And I wonder what the link is with that. Like, right. it's always electricity in some way. Even when something major is about to happen, you remember how, like, the giant will show up and it looks like a spotlight. But I wonder if it's just a concentration of electricity Maybe they're transported. That's mm. a way of them being transported to the real world briefly through like a concentrated beam of electricity. Uh, but maybe there's more to it than that. I actually saw it like a kind of like it was a flash. Yeah, I saw it like like you were saying. So when you say lightning, I didn't have I didn't attribute it to lightning before, but you made that as an easy connection for me. I wonder if. Obviously, the giant is not from the Black Lodge. We don't really see him in the Black Lodge. He's in that other, that black and white area that's like with that fortune teller looking lady. Like, I don't know what to call that. I wonder if that might be the White Lodge, honestly. Hmm. Electricity is used by both lodges, like the White Lodge and the Black Lodge use electricity to manipulate and communicate with the physical world in which we live. When you think about it, Electricity is neutral, but it's also dangerous at the same time. So ah. it's like if you if you harness it differently, mm -hmm. then it can be used as a weapon. But in reality, it's just kind of its own entity and we can use it to, to help us or harm us right. depending on what your intent is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, especially and I'm, and I and I'm thinking about Oppenheimer, which I don't even know if, you know, Lynch meant this for the whole electricity thing, but 
just remembering like one of the early scenes in Oppenheimer showing showing Adams fishing. You, you see like those little little bursts of electricity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Splitting the atoms. Yeah, yeah. So thinking of electricity in that sense, it can be weaponized like that, or you can think of nuclear power. Damn, that's a cool. I, I like that. I like your thought on that because that makes total sense. Like if look, Agent uh, Mister C is just looking for power wherever he can find it. And so if he, if, if like you're saying right now, the electricity itself is, is neutral, it can be used either way for good or for, for bad. Um, then he can, you know, if he goes to the white lodge, perhaps he's powerful enough to, to harness that, or maybe it's just raw power he can go to and use to destroy. Um, what was kind of funny about this too, was that Jerry of Ben and Jerry the Ben and Jerry brothers. Uh Jerry is like this hippie guy now, right? In Uh season three. And he sees this whole vaporizing happen to Richard while he's looking through, while he's tripping on drugs, you know, he's like out in the middle of the forest. And I think he took some shrooms or something Uh and he was looking through his binoculars and he sees that whole situation happen on top of the boulder. He's tripping out, right? He's just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, Mm Is it because I'm on drugs or did that really happen? I have no idea. A little bit of a comic relief. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This one has quite a few events going on in it. So Dougie, who's comatose in the hospital after having shocked himself in the previous episode when he stuck a fork in the wall socket just Mm -hmm. out of curiosity, I guess. But it seemed like the electricity was almost calling to him. So I wonder if it wanted him to do that to like wake him up. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then we have the Mitchum brothers who offer to stock the house with food in an effort to take care of the family, you know, while Dougie's in the hospital. So that's nice of them. You know, he's become buddies with the Mitchum brothers who run the casino. Right. But then we got Mr. C's goons slash hitmen, Chantel and Hutch, who locate the Joneses residence and are kind of like staking it out. They're waiting in their van across the street and they're um, waiting for Dougie Jones to get home so that way they can assassinate him. Right, right. But that actually doesn't work out too well because apparently Hutch and Chantel's van was blocking a little bit of the driveway of this guy that lives in that area. And so he tells them to move their van and they tell him to go kick rocks. <laughs> so he does the normal thing and he pulls like an Uzi out of his trunk and normal. just fucking starts capping him. Yeah, it's normal. Total normal. So he gets into a shootout with these hitmen. This random guy that lives in suburbia fucking ends up taking out the hitmen before they can take out Dougie. <laughs> that escalated quickly. I did not expect it to go that route. Yeah, seriously. The heck. But you know what this felt like? Th- that scene very much felt like a Quentin Tarantino shit hitting the fan moment in his uh-huh. movies where like the bad guys get theirs in the end. Mm-hmm. And it was actually kind of fun. Like it's it's fun watching these people where you know damn well they're capable of doing some harm to the protagonist, but then a series of unfortunate events happen and then like the bad guys end up getting fucked over and they never actually accomplish the mission. yeah ultimately the big thing happens we have dougie jones snapping awake and he is now finally Uh, agent cooper fully restored to his normal self fucking relief it's about (laughs) time oh my gosh dude i was like ah agent cooper the first thing he does give me some of them sandwiches i'm hungry 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he just starts double fisting those little like half sandwiches. Uh-huh. So Dougie you know, he has like a little send off that he does with his family. So Agent Cooper, you know, as Dougie, mm-hmm. he shows that he is very appreciative of them helping him and kind of taking care of him until he was able to take care of himself. He tells them that he'll be back. So I don't know if that was going to be explored later, but he promised them that he would be back. Hmm. The Mitchum brothers with Cooper, then leave on a private jet and head for Twin Peaks. So he's on his way. He's he's flying from Vegas, right? Nevada mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. to Twin Peaks. We now know that Diane has been corresponding with Mr. C through text. She then reveals to Cole that not long after returning from the Black Lodge, Agent Cooper came to visit her, but he wasn't the same person. They kissed, but then she became fearful of him in that moment. Hmm. This is kind of a trippy reveal. I don't know if it was real or not, because I don't think this was the real Diane, but Diane said that Mr. C gave a sinister smile, then raped her. So that was like one of the first things after leaving the Black Lodge was that obviously he wasn't himself and he went to go visit Diane. And so after that, she started developing a hatred for Cooper, apparently. Hmm. But then she vaguely tells them that she's in the sheriff's station before drawing her gun on them. They retaliate and shoot her, and she kind of just vanishes into thin air, which is kind of weird. So she's in the sheriff's station and then pulls a gun. Really odd. Yeah. Another event happens where Audrey and Charlie finally make it to the roadhouse after bickering about it for the last couple of episodes. So Charlie is Audrey's husband. And we finally get to see Audrey, which is fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. We get to see Audrey's dance, baby. (laughs) One of the most interesting aspects of this season is not knowing what the hell happened to Audrey after season two. And it got even more confusing when the bar fight breaks out and Audrey suddenly snaps awake in a solid white room looking into a mirror. Do you remember that? No, no. The hell? This bar fight breaks out and, you know, she's kind of getting like lost in the shuffle. She eventually almost snaps awake, like snaps into reality. Uh And she's in the solid, bright white room looking into the mirror. And she's just like, what the fuck? That's the last we see of Audrey. We don't ever see her again after that. So I wonder if she actually died in that bank explosion and maybe got sent to the White Lodge. Wow. Wow. And that whole marriage with that weird looking guy, I wonder if that was just some sort of purgatory that she was in. Yeah. Wow. Living that whole, what the heck did that even mean? When I saw that, I was like, whoa, what the? Because I didn't even know what to make of it. It just like cuts to a different scene right after that. What? And that's the last we see of her? Damn. And, you know, with this being such an interesting plot point, how is it that we don't ever find out more about this? You know, this is the end of season three. There is no intention of a season four, from my understanding. So David Lynch is seriously going to throw this wrench in the storyline and then just like not ever explore that. Something so interesting. I love it. Fucking David Lynch, man. Seriously. Leaving us wanting more. So that was episode 16. And that leads us to season three, episode 17, which is the finale. <laughs> And you also have this one too, right? Yeah. 
I guess this isn't really the finale either. I guess this is the penultimate. Oh yeah, I have the uh, I have the the finale finale. Like all I really want to talk about is legit the end, <laughs> the very end. Okay, well I can talk about seventeen then, and then you can take over for uh, the real finale. I don't know. I kept thinking that it was less episodes, but yeah, eighteen episodes. In episode seventeen, we have. Director Gordon Cole revealing to Albert and Tammy that Major Briggs had shared a discovery with him about an entity called Jow Day, which became Judy over time. So Joe Day was Judy's real name. Okay. And this is the first time that we're actually hearing anything about Judy. Mm-hmm. I think he was basically just saying that Judy seems to be some sort of evil spirit malevolent spirit who possesses great power and then not much else is known about judy so again i want to know more about judy i think judy is really fascinating and i will say that judy is way more terrifying than bob right mr c eventually ends up at the other coordinates and is transported to the fireman i wonder if the fireman is in the white lodge i think that's what mr c is looking for i think he's trying to get into the white lodge for some reason but yeah, he's transported to the fireman, who then sends him to the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Station. Well, you know what's interesting about that, too? About that little section of the story? On their little projector screen or whatever, their screen thing. Um, he was looking at the Palmer residence when Mr. C shows up. And then it switches right before he gets transported there. So I wonder if that was like a last-ditch effort. Like, it was his destiny, it was Bob's destiny, to be taken to the the white lodge and then sent teleported to the fire station because that's where he was going to be killed by that guy with that glove. He gets like punched to death. Oh, damn. Yeah. Superhuman fist or whatever the fuck. Uh, yeah. Which was already like a weird side story. Yeah. Um, he meets Sheriff Frank Truman, but then Lucy surprised about what she's hearing transfers agent Cooper to Truman while he's talking to Mr. C and as everyone thinks that he's the normal Dale Cooper, Mr. C and Truman each draw their guns at each other. But Lucy is the one to shoot Mr. C in the head from the doorway. So Lucy was talking to Agent Cooper, who was on his way to Twin Peaks. Oh. Yeah, and so she was like, wait, how are you talking to me on the phone when you're talking to Sheriff Truman right now? And so he's like, no, 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 that's, that's like an evil version of me. That's when Lucy was already quick on the draw and she shoots Mr. C in the back of the head. Only Mr. C can't be killed by conventional methods. So he starts being revived by the woodsman again, right? Like they start showing up. That like weird Bob Orb thing kind of comes out of his stomach. So I think this time, I don't know if they revive him, but it seems like they were helping the Bob Orb escape the body right and mm -hmm. from that point he starts like floating around the room and starts like trying to headbutt people just yeah yeah a freaking weird part of the story yeah and then that's when that guy with the green glove ends up like punching him swing away you know he swing away. <laughs> i think that guy's name is freddy um with the rubber glove hand he ends up yeah punching him and destroying him that's now i remember now i remember cracks that, guy, that yeah. orb What'd you make of that whole fight? Because that was not what I was expecting from Bob's final stand. Him no, flying no, around no, like no, a no. bowling ball. No. Strange. Kind of anticlimactic, but... Yeah. 
Yeah, it was weird because he punched him into hell from for a second there. Like, I think he flew into the ground and then like flames shot up. And then, yeah, that final blow, I think, shattered him. And then he like floated into the ceiling, kind of similar to Diane, right? When Diane got shot, she like floated into the ceiling. Oh, right, right. The weird thing was the eyeless woman who transported out from like the void or whatever when they went to that location in the woods. The eyeless woman returns to her normal self, which is none other than the real Diane. So Diane was the eyeless woman the entire time. I guess she was stuck in her own prison, which was in that weird pod fireplace thing in space. Right. She says she remembers everything. Then Diane and Cooper share a kiss. A less creepy kiss, apparently, than the one that was described earlier. (laughs) Here's another weird part. Cooper's superimposed face is then plastered on the screen. And then says, we live inside a dream. <laughs> so again, Lynch doing his thing. Yeah. The room goes dark before Cooper, Diane, and Cole end up in a boiler room looking place. And Cooper tells them not to follow him as he uses his old Great Northern Key, room 315, the one I was like in his pocket. Um, he uses that to open this door. Mike is there to greet him with the fire walk with me poem. Mm. so that's where they meet philip jeffries the teapot Mm -hmm. or a giant black kettle looking thing jeffries tells cooper to find judy he is then transported back in time to when laura and james were talking that night of her murder before she gets on the bike and like Mm -hmm. runs off into the forest they're like having that discussion whatever and she kind of tells james that like he's nothing to her and that like she doesn't love him, but James is not having it. And he's just like, no, I'm here for you, you know? And he's really trying to trying to save Laura Mm -hmm. as whack of a character as James is. I think this was one of his better moments in the entire series was him trying to save Laura. Yeah. She hops on the bike, they drive away and then she hops off the bike and runs into the forest. That's when she runs into agent Cooper on her way to rendezvous with Ronette, Leo and Jock. Ah, So Agent Cooper kind of intervenes with the storyline and stops her because, you know, that cabin is where that weird orgy happens. And then she eventually gets killed. So Cooper offers his hand and leads Laura in a different direction through the forest. It seems like he intends on taking her home. But then this changes the future events as Laura's body is never found wrapped in plastic next to the river. So him taking her hand creates a different story or a different timeline, like a branching Mm -hmm. timeline from there. So by him doing that, she's never killed by Bob in the abandoned train car. Also around this time too, before I forget to mention it, we also get a glimpse of Sarah Palmer who wails as she destroys Laura's iconic homecoming queen photo. So she's upset by something and she's taking it out on the Laura Palmer photo. Mm -hmm. I wonder what that meant. Because I wonder if Laura or Sarah Palmer is like an agent of the Black Lodge or something. And that Cooper keeping her from rendezvousing and fulfilling her destiny of meeting up with Ronette, Jacques, and Leo. It created that separate timeline and that now the plan isn't going to go as intended. Agent Cooper went back in time and fucked with the plan and fucked with destiny. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that depressed, alcoholic, chain-smoking Sarah Palmer isn't the real 
mom of Laura anymore. I think it's she might be like an agent of the Black Lodge or something, like maybe a doppelganger or whatever the case. As Cooper leads Laura through the woods, and it seems like they're finally going to have the happy ending, he turns around and she's gone. Like someone snatched her up and placed her someplace else. Hmm. Someplace that Agent Cooper will not be able to find her, it seems like. Right. He kind of faintly hears Laura's terrifying scream, and that was the end of the episode. So that Mm. was a lot of crazy shit happening in the penultimate episode. It was dope, though. Yeah, that was a lot of crazy shit. Fuck. It's showing a promising outcome because of the fact that Laura Palmer is no longer found on the side of the river wrapped in plastic. Yeah. So that means that there's still a chance that she might come out of this alive. So episode 18, what do we got? Episode 18. Season finale. The se- the series, well, potentially series finale. Yeah, but potentially, but se- season finale for sure. Yeah, so um man, it brings it all together and um does it in a really unexpected way. So I'm trying to remember how it how it gets to the point where he's he like after all his searching he finally sees Laura. They have to drive into this new portal, and so the number four thirty that I mentioned earlier was the exact miles that Cooper and Diane drive. They drive four hundred thirty miles in their car before it runs out of gas. Yeah, so basically the car rolls up. Um, they reach Odessa and they get to this coffee shop called Eat at Judy's. Mm-hmm. He goes inside and asks uh, the waitress serving him if there was another woman that worked there. But he's told that it's her that it's that other woman's day off. And that was after that weird, awkward sex scene with Diane. <laughs> but yeah, then Diane disappears and Cooper or Richard ends up driving and he finds that Judy diner. That's okay. So that's how that goes down. So he goes to the that waitress's home, spots a utility pole outside with the number six attached to it, knocks on the door, and the waitress looks identical to Laura. She's confused why he's calling her Laura. She says her name's Carrie, Carrie Page. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But so she's not she's not she's resistant to it. He keeps insisting she's Laura. And he tells her he'll take her to Twin Peaks. So she already needed to leave town and she, she agrees to go with him. As they get ready to leave, Cooper goes inside, seeing a dead man on the couch and a white figurine of a horse. They think for there's like a tense moment where they, they think they're being followed, but the, the people in the car behind them uh, pass by them mm-hmm. when they, after they get to this gas station. So it's building, right? Because she still doesn't. She's she's Carrie Page, but she looks like Laura. And it's just it's confusing because Cooper's so insistent. So they're heading back to Twin Peaks. Oh, they made it to the Palmer residence, right? And the woman who answers is not Sarah Palmer or Leland. And he's and he says uh, he asks her about Sarah Palmer, and she says, "No, I I don't know Sarah Palmer. I purchased the home from a Mrs. Chalfont. and uh, and she says, "No, I'm my name is Alice Tremond. and so uh, it's kind of like this, like like what the hell, like a like a it's massive letdown. Like what the hell's going on? So then they walk away and they get back to the car and he turns back um, to the house and, and they, he's like looking at it and he's just like, mm, something's not right. You know, he's like, what year is it? That's when Carrie turns to the Palmer home 
and here's Sarah, her mom shouting Laura. And it's like this moment where you see it register on her face. Like she's processing it. Like her eyes are almost searching. She's like looking and all of a sudden she just fucking screams, like screams like Laura, you know, and it causes, uh, it startles Cooper and it causes the house. Uh, she has such a great house, scream too. She it's does. So, so guttural, right? It is. It's like, it, it made, it gave me goosebumps and that's it. And scene. And that's how the season three ends. That's how the series ends. Yeah. Iconic scream. Dude. It was worth it just for that. I remember like thinking how I was so pleased with the way that it ended. I was so happy with how confusing it was. I was like, this is, this is it. (laughs) This is beautiful. Like you don't get what you wanted. Some people got what they wanted, but, but not, uh, not, not agent Cooper and Laura. I vividly remember my reaction after the show ended. I remember thinking, of course he would do some shit like this. (laughs) Dude shook i was fucking shook we came back to the series 25 years later to get some answers he answered a couple of them but he created way more questions and he's just gonna leave us at that fucking david lynch dude that brilliant asshole (laughs) no seriously genius and that unfortunately is a wrap on twin peaks if you made it to the end of our podcast then you just successfully escaped the black lodge (laughs) i love it (laughs) any final thoughts or closing comments no just please any anybody who who's listened this far if you haven't seen twin peaks please go watch it it's it's way better to to see it for yourself and it's just a it's a hell of a journey like it's it's a it's an amazing story that he tells and so it's not always exciting it's not always exciting. It's true. It's not. It's a slow burn in many ways. Many episodes are, especially the Dougie episodes. Good God. Do you feel like having, because both you and I, we it took us a few attempts to get into it, right? Yeah. So ultimately, you feel like the persistence paid off and that it was well worth the effort putting in? Yes. 100%. Absolutely. There's like before and after Twin Peaks for me. Yeah. It's just, it's, a, it's inspiring. It's great storytelling strange fun yeah worth it from me who did not have any interest at all to watch this when it was airing back in the early 90s and then having you recommend it to me i will say that i was very glad that i got into it i would not have ever gotten into this on my own (laughs) sometimes it takes it takes someone's uh like recommendation to introduce you to something special, you know? And what I really like about this is that it's super unique. Like it's, it's unlike anything else. That's the way David Lynch is. If anything, it made me more appreciative of David Lynch as a showrunner, you know, as a director, um, just as a, a creative mind. Yeah. Cause he, he has a lot of, interesting and crazy ass ideas and the fact that he's able to tie them together somehow and this whole wild story that's spanning 25 plus years and he was able to make it make sense if anything it made more sense yeah by having that actual 25 year gap which is wild yeah how many other shows would benefit from having a 25 year gap i can't think of a single one there's so many iconic things about the series overall 
I mean, introduced me to some beautiful actresses as well. <laughs> Whoever is the, the casting director, that person is my hero. No, they, they did a great job. Before I came into Twin Peaks, things needed to make sense. Otherwise, I didn't like it. Hmm. I think Twin Peaks showed me that you can be strange and you can be weird and things cannot make sense, but you can still enjoy it nonetheless. Dude, fucking bro. Hell yeah. That's it. That's that's I think that's what I wanted you to get from this or not so much wanted you to, but I wanted to see if you would enjoy it the same kind of way where you don't have answers. uh, You have more questions than answers rather. And um, and living with them, living in them. No, totally. Totally. Cool. If you're willing to to just go with the flow and let the the wacky David Lynch story show you around, then I think you'll have a good time with it. Of course, you know, shout out to Angelo Badalamenti for composing the most iconic theme, the Twin Peaks theme. And Mm -hmm. uh, also shout out to Julie Cruz for providing vocals for the song Falling. The Twin Peaks theme actually has a, a version with lyrics in it. And I fucking dig it, man. It's like really airy and kind of ethereal feeling. And I think it fits yeah. the vibe of the show. Dude. Um, to go along with all the, the weirdness of the series, I do have some top what the fuck moments I would like to, to mention really quick here. Horse in the living room. Mr. Tojimura. Donuts stacked in twos. Josie trapped in the hotel nightstand. As far as I know, she's still there. Yeah. I don't think they did anything with that. Mm-mm. Andy spelunking in the police department lobby somehow. How's that even possible? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck was with the Wyndham Earl master of disguise towards the end of season two? You know what I'm talking about? Like how he, he just kept popping up randomly as like all these random characters. Yeah. He even disguised himself as the log lady to get into Miss Twin Peaks. Mm hmm. Master of disguise. Gordon Cole's weird cousin in the red dress that I mentioned earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. Bob's first appearance in the living room, crouched behind that little chair or whatever that makes Sarah scream for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, old man with the thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's my favorite. <laughs> uh, Sarah Palmer in season three. Just her in all of season three. Like, what the fuck was that? I still think she's some sort of agent of the Black Lodge by, like, removing her face and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Mike showing up at Bob's abandoned train car to not really do much. Yeah. And then, of course, Philip Jeffries morphed into a giant tea kettle. So those were some of the the top what the fuck moments for me. Yeah, there, there are plenty more, plenty more to be had. I just wanted to touch back on at one point, director Gordon Cole reveals that he had a dream where he was told we are like the dreamer who dreams and lives inside the dream. But who is the dreamer? And I just thought that was such a, an interesting quote that basically becomes agent Cooper throughout the show. It's like, who's the dreamer? Are you the dreamer? Or are you the dream? Like, I don't know. All right. That's kind of like the whole vibe of this series. Honestly, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Huh. Great quote. The Audrey character, in my opinion, ended up getting the shit end of the stick in terms of storyline because she started out like such a pivotal character, right? 
and she was so vital to the story and she she was so cute and kind of flirtatious right seductive but -hmm. in the end she didn't really amount to much i'm so hopeful that if they do a season four they can do something with that room that she wakes up in and it's all white so there's Mm -hmm. still hope but what the hell happened to billy zane man i know he never came back i can confidently say that james is probably the lamest character in the whole series what do you think I yeah, I would agree. James was whack. Damn. Fuck that character. That yeah. character did not amount to anything at all. No, no. No. You figured that all that brooding and whining and just being emo, you figured that he was going to have this huge impact on the series and he didn't do a damn thing. Mm-mm. He didn't do anything in season three either. No. What the fuck was he even there for? They should have brought back someone else. He was just uh, good yeah. for singing that cringy song. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Uh, but in the end, um, overall, the story was obviously hev- heavily focused on Agent Cooper. Mm-hmm. But I think the series mainly belongs to Laura Palmer, honestly. I think Cheryl Lee started off playing a dead girl with no lines, but each time she was on screen, she acted her ass off. Mm hmm. She always gave a powerful performance, and over time, she started to show up more and more in the series. She deserves more credit than I think she was given, because I think it can easily go to Kyle McLaughlin and Agent Cooper and just say that he was the star of the the series, and he was the focal point of the story, this and that, but I think there's something to be said about being killed off in the very first episode and then being brought back for a couple episodes after that, because... You earned that right. And then you got to carry a movie after that. Cheryl Lee got to carry Fire Walk With Me entirely. Mm-hmm. Like, I firmly yeah. believe that she held that shit on her back. And she did a mm-hmm. fucking fantastic job. Yeah. Shout out to her. Laura Palmer was a lot of things. And I felt like her destiny was supposed to be something more important, you know? Like, she might actually be maybe linked with the White Lodge in some way. Like maybe she was supposed to be an agent for good and that maybe the Black Lodge was able to corrupt her and get to her before she was able to fully achieve her true destiny. And that's why she was targeted so heavily. Mm -hmm. It kind of goes along, it kind of aligns with Cheryl Lee, the actress, that I don't think she was really meant to be the standout actor on the show. But it's, I think it's it's kind of cool that both her and the character really just blew me away throughout mm. the, the course of this entire series. Yeah, she 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 dude, she gave it the fucking she gave it her all. And uh, she was justly rewarded with more screen time. And we got to enjoy those scenes as a uh, as a result and i'm telling yeah. you man that that the, the scenes it's it's like in the in the black lodge like again david lynch got it right he got it right her she it's so every scene she's in she she holds such gravitas captivating and like i said in the black lodge like just the the, the dress she wears and that scream so iconic to hear it again as that as that be the last thing we hear from her potentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. perfect it's fitting is there any moment throughout the course of the entire series that was your favorite like 
this is always the scene that I can't wait to watch again every time you revisit Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's that scream. That's it. I, every it, because it's the it's like the it's singular point of density for me. It's like hmm. that's it. It was all. It just leads right up to here. That moment I was waiting for all that time throughout the entire series. Just just not just for it to end, but to for her to to realize that he fucking saved her. Yeah. Or he's still in the process of saving her. It's right in the process of saving her. And, and then she knows who she is in her history and all the shit that went down. And anyway, for me, the, the scene that I've always loved is the concept of Laura and agent Cooper having the same dream, but from different perspectives and several yeah. years apart. Yeah. I just thought that was some of the coolest mind blowing shit I'd ever seen. And that was definitely some hold the door stuff from Game of Thrones. Definitely. When I saw that, I'm just like, are you, I would say it's even better than hold the door. Yeah. Having two people that have never met share the exact same dream, but from different perspectives and from different points in a timeline. Yes. That still blows me away. That was that's some of the coolest shit I had ever seen on TV. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. If you like Resident Evil 1, then go check out Twin Peaks Into the Night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll bite. And don't forget to go order some cherry pie from Tweed's Cafe in North Bend, Washington. It is open and you can visit the website order some cherry pie and have it be delivered to you anywhere in the US. I've ordered some cherry pie from there myself and it is fucking awesome. It that is definitely the place to go. That's where pies go when they die. <laughs> <laughs> Tweets Cafe. Oh man. Provecho. Enjoy. Afflictionados is available wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. If you enjoy our content, give us a like, a thumbs up, and don't forget to subscribe. As always, thank you for listening and joining Michael, Bob, and I. This has been Affliction Hours Podcast, Episode 31, Twin Peaks. A damn fine episode, I might add. And we will see you all next time. Ciao.